You're listening to the world's only pro wrestling podcast, the VIP Lounge, bringing you the best in pro wrestling, new school guests, interviews, and opinions. Brought to you by ReeseRyanBrand.com. And here's your host, the VIP champion, the king of swag, Reese Ryan. What is going on, you guys? Thank you so much for joining me for episode six of the VIP Lounge Independent Pro Wrestling Podcast with me, Reese Ryan. As the intro said, we are in fact the only wrestling podcast out there. So stop looking now, stop what you're doing, and just listen to the sound of my dulcet tones. <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a really good week. Uh, well, for me anyway, I hope you guys are doing okay. Um, you know, things are starting to, um, we're starting to see a light now. I'm feeling quite positive. Uh, I've been trying to like, um, to kind of keep motivated. I've been watching a lot of cool things, reading some, uh, some books that I finally got around to reading. Um, so, so yeah, I'm all, I'm feeling good. So, um, yeah, get, get on social media guys, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Reese Ryan brand. Let me know how you are. I miss you all terribly. Um, it's getting to a point now where, uh, it seems like such a distant memory when we were all, uh, we're all together, uh, doing, doing these shows so regularly. I'm uh, so psyched for my uh, for my guest that I've had today. I've been saving him for a while because we always have such awesome conversations. Uh, so um, I, I wanted to wait until I had the proper equipment, uh, you know, good production values so that this could really be uh, the best it can be. Uh, this guy has been a British wrestling workhorse for like 14 years. Uh, he, he's done some fantastic things. He's not a it's not a name that particularly jumps out at you when you think of British wrestling. But the thing is, what he's achieved, the people who he's been around, and what he's learned is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, definitely not one to skip out on. Today's guest is none other than the amazing Matt Myers. Uh, so we sit and we chat about all sorts of things about how he first started getting into wrestling, listening, um, watching the FWA. We then go on to his kind of uh, relevance within the kind of Lincolnshire scene in in, uh, in the UK, kind of the northeast scene. We talk about RDW. Um, we talk about kind of small local um, kind of uh, companies like that. We also talk about his involvement with NGW. Uh, we then go on to talk about so many things, man. This podcast has bounced all over the place, uh, but it's really dope. Uh, I, uh, this was such an easy interview because we just we just talked. Um, you know, it, uh, he's a really good friend of mine, such a great, great guy. I value his opinion greatly. So uh, before we get into it, uh, if you guys like every single week, uh, if you'd hop onto ReeseRyanBrand.com, you can find my merchandise, you can find my um, my match footage, any news, etc., etc., etc. Got some new stuff up there, so you can check that out. And also, uh, welcome to our new viewers as well. I've noticed that I've got quite a few um, 
new time listeners now. So thank you so much to everybody who is supporting this podcast. So uh, if you could drop it a little a little review, that would be awesome. Really helps with the algorithms. Uh, it was an awesome um, an awesome chat last week with Stevie Knight and Richard Young. I've also had some, you know, check out the back catalog, guys. Uh, there's some awesome things with Big Guns Joe, uh, Ricky Knight Jr., uh, and I'd like to announce as well that next week's guest is none other than the professional Nathan Cruz. So that's going to be an awesome chat. I want to speak to him about world of sport. I want to speak to him about his, well, his his tenure as a, as a mainstay in, in British independent pro wrestling. I want to talk about his relationship with Alex Shane. I want to talk about the... Um, the British wrestling agency that he's with at the moment and how that's affecting his work. There's so many of things that I want to talk about being the first progress wrestling champion. Uh, so that's going to be awesome to sit and speak to him. Uh, without further ado, uh, my name is Reese Ryan. This is the VIP lounge and this is Matt Myers. Hey, what's going on, man? Get like hey man, how's it going? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, so, how how are you getting on during uh, isolation? How are you How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, man. I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm not too bad. Um, I'd had good good moments, bad moments. Um, are you one of these guys who? Um, are you feeling quite positive about it? Are you like? Are you making all these you know great positive achievements, or are you kind of? No, you know, no. Do you know what? It, it's it's weird because that. Do you know what, Reese? I'm just gonna have to stop a minute. I'm really thrown off by the fact that we've just. Think... <laughs> the thing is, Reese, me, me and you were friends. You know, we, we talk quite a lot. So it's just one of the things I've not spoke to you in God knows how long now. So yeah, conversation just started flowing. It's it's not a lack of your professionalism. It just yeah, it happens. You know, uh, I'm afraid, uh, guys, we've got some bad news. What what's just happened, Matt? Do you know what? We've been we've been chatting for we've been chatting for twenty minutes. We've been having a really good conversation, and then I can see Reese on on the webcam here, and this panic had just overcome his face, and I was like, "What's going on here?" And it just came up to saying um, that Reese is now recording the call, and I was like, "What? Have we, have we not been recording this entire time?" And there we are. We <laughs> about twenty minutes of really good conversation has just been absolutely wasted. And I would just like to say for all the viewers at home that I'm a very professional podcast uh, host here. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Mr. Matt Myers is such an amazing guy to speak to. You know, we were just we were throwing it down. We were, we were chatting like so much, like really quality content. And then I just think to myself, oh, my God, I've got a job to do right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, it's a Going back to your um your question about lockdown and stuff like that, yeah, I know we I know we touched on it earlier, but I do have some free time on my hands. But yeah, I'm just saying that uh, we had a good chat about social media and how there's this almost feelings of guilt when you see what other people are doing. And yeah, that's kind of where we was. You know, people seem to be doing some really productive stuff around this time. Uh, people are sharing. Yeah, I said, I said like um. You know, obviously, we didn't know how long this was going to last. So at first, I didn't have any real plans of what sort of productive stuff I can be doing with myself, um, what they're doing. And you can't help but compare and contrast yourself to what other people are doing. And I think, you know, that's one of the things, especially in terms of, you know, Mental Health Awareness Week right now is um, not to compare yourself to people on social media because I shared a story earlier about how, 
you know, somebody once said to me, um, you know, man, you, you know, your, your life look, your life looks so amazing. You know, basically based on the images that I was sharing on social social media. You know, the holidays I've had and the places that I've been recently. You know, went to uh, Las Vegas last year. You know, Paris the year before. You know, New York recently as well. You know, all in the past past few years. And obviously coupled with that with images of wrestling uh, that was posted. You know, people say, oh, man, your life looks so awesome. It's like, no, man, no. I'm I'm showing you a very small snippet of of my life i'm not sure i'm not showing the low parts of my life and i think that's the one thing that people need to remember in in this sort of stage of social media and where, where we are now is you've you've seen a very small part of people's reality it's all it's all really cherry-picked as well and not not you know if, if you've got um the absolute magician which is tony knox uh taking loads of photos of you and getting those on social media of course all of your uh all of your oh. shoot, shoot friends are going to be like, damn. <laughs> you should say that because that's for me, you know, doing, doing a photo shoot with, you know, someone like someone like Tony Knox, of, of course, that's that's a regular thing for me. But the idea to a photo shoot of someone who's never done one before, that's like, oh, my God, that's, that sounds amazing because they've only seen people like models and stuff and, and celebrities in a magazine doing these sort of photo shoots. But for us as, as professional wrestlers, it's something that we do a lot. And, yeah, it's cool. Do you know what I mean? Do you know, posing in front of the camera and, you know, uh, working working with a photographer like that is cool, you know. But that again, I think that's something that we do take for take for granted, don't we? I suppose. No, I totally agree. And also, what we said in this uh, in this great lost part of the podcast, uh, which will never come back. Um, but I, I touched on about how uh, with mental health and stuff like social media, it can be a really dangerous thing, and it's about knowing um, kind of who you are as an individual. I, I shared with with Matt how I know that 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 um that comparing myself to other people can really weigh me down so as a way to combat that I don't really have any personal social media as such most of my social media is kind of promoting my uh pro wrestling you know my, my business my brand so if I didn't have that I probably wouldn't be on it at all uh so it's just about having that balance I suppose and just knowing that you you can log off like you know it's it's not actual physical life I guess mm. Yeah, so it's the one thing that I've tried to be a, a bit more conscious of during this time, uh, especially, I don't know if I, can't, if I mentioned it earlier or not, but yeah, the, the wife went back to work on Monday, uh, so when she's coming home now on a night, you know, because I'm obviously sat around and I'm on my phone quite a lot during the day, I'll admit as well, you know, so I've got my laptop set up working from home, I've got my phone next to me, so when, when she comes home, you know, I've got to just go take my phone upstairs, put it on charge and come down and, you know, it's about, about connecting, I suppose, and that's, the one thing that I have liked throughout this lockdown, I do feel like I am connecting with people a little bit more. Like, don't get me wrong, I used to go around and see my mum, um, and you know, I'd go see my dad, but it felt a bit like routine. Do you know what I mean? You just go, go and you know, see your parents, have a little chat and stuff like that. But with the pandemic that's going on, do you know, when I am uh, FaceTiming my mum and, you know, FaceTiming with my dad, you know, we're having like some really deep conversations with each other. And I think we're really appreciating the fact that we're, in a position where we can still have these conversations with each other. I mean, you think of, you know, something like this happening hundred years ago, you know, you, you, you can't have the, even, you know, I mean, well, this sort of technology, you know, even something like this happened even you know, 20 years ago. Imagine going from this lockdown with a Nokia 3310, <laughs> you know, not being able to really communicate with people and, and watch content from our phones in, in this way, you know, so. Another thing that I noticed with, uh, whilst we're on the subject of social media recently is, um, is how uh, with, with the kind of negativity that that gets spread around. Like I really try and stay um, quite neutral or, or positive about things. But like 
the amount of like witch hunts that I see on, on social media, like where someone will post something or whatever and uh, completely out of context. And the thing is, you won't know their situation. You won't know what's going on. They could be having, you know, hell. Me- me- you, if you have a mental breakdown, your phone doesn't know that. You can still access your Twitter, like where, uh, and everything is on a public forum. And then everyone just suddenly leaps on. And like, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it, I think that that's so destructive. So that's something that I really try and stay away from as well. Yeah, do you know, obviously, there's the, you know, I could talk candidly, but there's the, there's a kid like. There's a professional wrestler at the moment that's clearly not having a good time on social media. They're, they're posting constantly. They're posting every thought that they're having. Um, they're saying some very you know, offensive stuff on there as well. And don't get me wrong, I'm not condoning what he's saying by any means, but it's it's just it's really sad to see it, you know, because there's clearly a there's clearly a mental health issue here. But you know, people are jumping on him, and it's a, it's a tricky. Like I said, I mean, it, I had a good chat with. Um, Tyler Devlin last night actually we, we were speaking about it and yeah I said man you know he's having a really rough time he's like yeah but it doesn't you know there's no excuse to be to be having that converse to be saying those things online and I said, you know, I was like yeah I get it it's just it's harsh but yeah I think anything's like you know everything's a witch hunt at the moment though do you know even going up going away from that subject I don't want to talk too much about that um but you're seeing people when they have, when, when the neighbour has like the relatives round in the garden or something and then people are like, oh my God, you know, my neighbour's having a garden party and someone else raised a good point. Well, actually, what if somebody there has gone there because they're having a really bad time mentally at the moment and if they don't connect to their family, you know, they, they could you know, maybe do something destructive. It could lead to, you know, suicidal ideation or something like that. Maybe just because I'm, I'm not, myself but about a week or two ago I was having a really rough time and I was you know the lockdown had got to me I was missing my mum you know I was like all right you know I'm, I'm just going to jump in the car I'm going to go see my mum so I knocked on the door she opened the door uh you know, I took a step back and you know she, she got she was just really happy to see me but you know a bit overwhelmed by it and anyway she opened up the back way you know I, I came for the came for the back way and I sat at the opposite end of the garden with her and I just had a chat and that's kind of what people are doing at the moment, you know. But again, you see in these social media posts of this witch hunt of oh, these people, you know, they're not adhering to the lockdown and stuff like this. This is how the virus spreads. And I, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, you know, people need to really pack me up. And I'm someone that, yeah, I've been adhering to the lockdown. I got, I pretty much stay at home all day. I go walk the dogs for an hour. And that's, you know, that's me, essentially. But I, it's this one day, yeah, I just, I needed that. The um, I think it was uh, Doug Williams that that I was listening to um, on Stevie Knight's podcast, and he was saying his opinion on it. And he was saying about how like he raised a really good point that I didn't think about. And he was like, at at the end of the day, we're all adults. We're all like we should all be able to make our own kind of educated decisions on our situation, and it's our life. Like, you know, like, like, like that doesn't mean go and be stupid and go and like, you know, hang out in a coughing on everyone in the parks and stuff. Like, but but he said that like, you know, this thing, like, you know, same with, with his mom, like, you know, going and uh, making sure that they're okay and, and being away from, you know, not as long, you know, the science, right. And it's like, just, just make your own educated decision and stop like, passing judgment on people's lives in general when you know nothing about them see their families you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and again like we've just had a chat then about like it's it's great that we're in a position where we've got technology available to us to be able to have like, these webcam conversations and stuff like that but 
Yeah, and it don't beat the real thing, does it? You know, and I can honestly say, just seeing my mum and being there for an hour, you know, sitting in the garden, the, I've, I've, I was fine for a long time after that. You know, it just really, that was the contributing factor. I'd gone and done my my weekly shop the night before uh, at the at the ASDA, and no one was adhering to social distancing. You know, I'm waiting for the person in front of me to get whatever they need, you know, the two metres apart and stuff like that. And at the time I was waiting for this person, I had other people cutting across me. Next thing I knew, this aisle that I was down, probably had like, you know, 12 other people around me. And those people that was obviously shopping in couples and stuff like that. Again, I'm not going to judge you. If I'm, me and my partner have agreed that, you know, I'll, I'll go and do the weekly shop, you know, that sort of, that we're doing it. But I was just thinking, in that moment, I'm sat there, it's like, hang on, why is it okay for me to be here right now with, you know, these 12 other people, you know, all... Uh, sorry to cut you off there, Matt. Um, the feed went a bit uh, weird there, so uh, we'll we'll move on anyway. So um, tell me, I I want to know how you kind of got into your your start in wrestling. Tell me tell me a little bit about that. Um, my I used to me and my friends we used to be backyard wrestlers, you know. And what one of our friends that we used to do this with his uncle uh, ran a community center up on the other side of town. There was a, a local show that was going on there and he told my, obviously my friend about it and he said, you know, why don't you come up and you know check it out? So we did. And it was kind of it was kind of cool at first because it was one of our it was one of the first one of my first few experiences of British wrestling where it wasn't people pretending to be, you know, the Undertaker and Stone Cold. That was what most of the wrestling I feel like was around that time. Uh, other than all star wrestling that had come to the obviously the whole city hall. But even then, there was always elements of WWE in those shows. I remember one guy coming out in a Rey Mysterio mask and things like that. And there was always them, them nods to wrestling. But this was complete, completely unique characters. I say Baron One, which was a, a green cane sort of thing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so that it was it was kind of cool. And and what had happened from there is we'd. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, he left and essentially it's these flyers, these little Microsoft Word written flyers, and it had uh, this email address on uh, for the Urban Warrior, which again, people who kind of know wrestling in, in the Cleethorpes, Grimsby area, especially, you know, they, they might have come across the Urban Warrior at some point. Um, so you know, I messaged him, I was about 15. Uh, I, I added him on MSN Messenger, going back to like the social media <laughs> stuff. I, it was an email address, I added, I added it on my MSN Messenger, I wasn't really expecting much of it. And then I'm sat there talking to some friends, and then it's like, oh, the Urban Warriors online. So I commented, it's like, is this the Urban Warrior? <laughs> you know, it was like, this, this is the Urban Warrior. So I just started chatting to him about wrestling, that you when know, we'd come to the show. Uh, I said, you know, would he would he run a like would he teach us how to wrestle? Essentially, bear in mind this was my first time ever speaking to a professional wrestler. Do you know, I, I use that term very loosely, professional wrestler. I'm <laughs> speaking to a, a wrestler, so I asked about a training school. There was a lot of back and forth. He asked how many people would be, you know, be coming with me. Uh, I imagine just to see if the cost would cover overheads and. And anyway, he did, and I was training with the Urban Warrior for uh, about two years, and from there, the Urban Warrior, you know, he filled <laughs> quite a manipulative person, he used to fill all our heads in with um, sort of how evil Steve Sykes was, which I know is someone <laughs> that obviously you got your start with, but yeah, he used to fill our heads with how evil Steve Sykes was and how evil RDW was. And, you know, being sort of, you know, 15 and quite impressionable, you be- you believed pretty much everything that he ever said. Um, 
So, yeah, you know, he used to talk really bad about RDW and how sort of Grimsby Cleefops area was sort of a no-go zone for us in wrestling. And if we ever tried to wrestle there, you know, Steve Sykes, he'd, he'd injure us on purpose because we was one of the Urban Warriors lads. And yeah, in the end, that ended up being that ended up being, being bollocks, essentially, you know. So um, in terms of what we did in Cleefops area, uh, after we, we left the, the training school and stuff there and, we sort of set up our own, own stuff with the um, NGW school in Hull, which again that's quite an in-depth story altogether. But yeah, we our my first time wrestling in Cleethorpes. Um, actually, my first time wrestling Cleethorpes was when I had my my debut match, and that was on the the camp show uh, the at the Haven Park, uh, not so far from the Pleasure Island over there. Uh, what's it? Fort Park, isn't it? I think that uh, one. Yeah, I think the the venue is Beachcomber. I think. Yeah. Uh... Uh, no, yeah, you've got the beach coming right next to it, and then you had Fort Park as well, which is like another holiday park from around that area. So, um, yeah, so that's where I actually had my first ever match, which was kind of cool because, again, one of the first times I ever saw live wrestling live was when my family took me to, um, you know, a little sort of seaside getaway over in Cleethorpes, you know, which is funny now to think like what we went on holiday to Cleethorpes, it's about you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> in the car but yeah we went on a little seaside holiday in Cleveland for a few days as a kid you know we used to do that quite a lot when we was, when we was younger uh, and that was the first time I ever saw live wrestling and that was again where I had my debut match so that was my first introduction to again wrestling in Cleveland and then a couple of years later well I think you're going to 2008 actually there was a summer run that uh, myself Nathan Cruz Col- uh, Colossus Kennedy Dara Diablo uh, that we did with uh, Steve Sykes over there, and there's something about the Grimsby Cleefops crowd, isn't it? They're 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 real. They're so invested. They're, it's 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 a bit of almost like a a flashback in time in some way. And even now, looking at the the more recent British Wrestling Revolution shows that happen there, the crowd are. It's kind of a mix, isn't it? You've, it's kind of that mature audience, but there's still a load of kids, and even the kids are quite. Uh, mature in the sense that you're coming down your entrance and that you know throwing the fingers up at you, you know? <laughs> I think it's um something to do with the fact that like wrestling was always because like my my uh my granddad he um he used to watch it at the uh at the like it was in the pier and he and he, and 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 the, it was like big daddy giant haystacks all those guys and um and even like you know like Bret Hart uh I, I and um Andre the Giant they've both been yeah. in the Memorial Hall which is crazy yeah. uh like so it's just it's always been quite a strong wrestling town and I think that then that's kind of passed down so the kids will see because you you go there and you you have all the old you know grannies like really getting at you like you posted that picture on social media like they hate you and like and, and all the kids see that and then they replicate it so it's almost like we have this little hotbed that feels like how it used to for the world of sport guys you know yeah. and you know even the, the pier um i think i've wrestled there maybe once or twice uh for again so that was my, my first introduction to wrestling in that area was with uh, PWA, which was uh, the Urban Warriors promotion on, on the Haven camps. Then we did a lot with uh, Real Deal Wrestling and RDW. Um, and then at the same time, when you had GWA running, uh, which was, again, an offshoot of RDW with Steve Sykes, the, was it Grimsby Wrestling Academy, was it? Was uh, yeah, or the Grimsby Wrestling Alliance. I don't know which it was, but... It was GWA, Grimsby Wrestling Alliance or Academy. But at the same time, you had... Uh, uh, a guy called Dino, not to be confused with the Dean Allmark, but there was a guy called Dino running wrestling shows up that area under XWCA, 
which I think was Extreme Wrestling Championship Association. Oh my God, I remember, I remember. This was the first ever live wrestling show I saw, XWCA. It was at the pier, and I remember it had some like, it had this guy who, he literally looked anemic. Like he was like, he was like ridiculously skinny, and like he wore like these like, really spangly silver uh, big baggy pants. And I remember seeing it like, if he can do that, I can do that, you know? That, that was me. That was me in my office. I'm a slim guy, but I don't think I've ever looked anemic, you know, but yeah, that was, that was the show. That was a, uh, that was some of the shows that we used to do in the, in the, in the pier with XWCA. And then he again he just he just fizzled out completely. Do you know I, d- I don't know what happened with him. He just again we did one show. And I think he was trying to run a program with again it was a bit weird. He was trying to run a similar program to what me and Nathan Cruz had run over in NGW. And I think we we was doing a, a few shows for him. And then that show I wrestled the XWCA show. I think the last one I did I wrestled Dara Diablo there. And it was, I think he was trying to start an angle with with us two. And again just. Guy just disappeared, which, do you know what? The one thing that I'm gutted about is he had one of the best wrestling rings that I'd ever wrestled in. It was so, so comfy. Like, even the heavier bumps didn't hurt, you know, that much. You know, the, the ropes were perfect. It was a really good ring. And he'd, oh, the thing where I thought he was on for a long stretch is because that ring was pretty much brand new uh, around the time of those peer shows. And then again, he just absolutely disappeared. So, you know, God, God knows what happened to him. I hope he's well. You know, he seemed like he seemed like a nice bloke to, at the time, you know, and everything. But, yeah, and then obviously more recently, a couple of years ago, uh, the British Wrestling Revolution stuff happened. And I remember, I think it was like Ryan Smile, had, 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 if you, I don't know if you know Ryan Smile, but, he, you know, he's a wrestler from like Birmingham area. He, he tweeted, I think he retweeted the BWR video. And it was kind of like these riots in the street and it was like, you know, the revolution is starting and stuff like that. And he made a comment of, oh, yeah, do you know, this screams professional wrestling products. <laughs> and to be honest, there was nothing about it that made it seem like a wrestling product at all. And I looked and I just thought, I, saw, I think I saw it said, you know, Clee Forbes or Grimsby or something like that. I thought, all right, you know, maybe maybe Steve's running again. So I found the I found the Facebook page. I dropped him a message, and I was like, do you know, is it, you know, is this is this Steve? And whoever's running the Facebook page, I imagine it'd have been uh, maybe Tyler Devlin. You know, he'd reply like, oh no, it's, this is nothing to do with Steve. It's brand new. I was like, all oh, right. In that case, because I'd, I'd barely done anything with GWA, uh, Steve suddenly just wanted to didn't want to pay wages and stuff anymore. So he dropped like a, a lot of guys, um, you know, myself and Nathan and, and Dara and Colossus. You know, we stopped working from when he started doing the GWA stuff. Um, I think I did one GWA show against a guy called Dan James, and that was the, and that was only because it was a charity show. It was for Drew McDonald. He'd asked if we, you know, Steve had oh asked me, God, yeah. yeah, Steve had asked me McDonald charity show, which I was like, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, obviously, I, I didn't know, I didn't know really know Drew. I know Drew uh, had a big impact on uh, Rampage Brown's career. Uh, you know, I've read stories from uh, Rampage and. Obviously, Nathan knew him quite well, so I always hear loads of stories about Drew. But I thought, yeah, if they're, you know, if they're raising money for him, then by all means, now people would probably do like a just giving page or something like that. You know, uh-huh. it's a bit different, but yeah, there's a charity show, but I'll get involved. So I think that was like the only GWA show I did. Uh, but yeah, going back, I messaged the I messaged the British Wrestling Revolution page. I was like, oh, well, you know, here's my wage. I'd be keen to get involved, and and that's how that started. And I ended up being on the first show against Simon Lancaster. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just going back to that, uh, that, um, that charity show, Matt, because I remember that so well, because I was on that show. And you know what's really funny? I remember it so well. Yeah, uh, you know, Drew McDonald, great, uh, you know, British wrestling legend, uh, you know, raising money for his family just after he died. Uh, and obviously, when you're working a charity show, you know, there's no wage or anything like that. Not that I was expecting that as a trainee at the time. But obviously, most... Um, most workers, you know, take it easy because it's like, no way, don't want to injure yourself. But it was me. <laughs> and it was me and Tyler Devlin in this like hardcore main event. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. We pulled out all the stops, man. He did like a suicide dive out the ring and I smacked him with the chair. That's the big bump. Was there something involved in the entrance where? Uh-huh. We oh. climbed. We climbed the entrance rigging. And I threw him off it <laughs> through the merchandise table. The thing is, I, I didn't I didn't know you or Tyler at the time, uh, but I you know I'd done a couple of shows with Drew. Uh, I know Drew was really old school, and I remember making a comment to someone I was stood with saying, "You know, fucking hell, if if Drew could see this now, do you know what I mean? It was the complete opposite of everything Drew stood for, and then who it was having this match. And I even I even said to someone, I was like. Are these guys getting paid? I was like, what? What are they doing? But then I got told, and obviously I, I know I know Tyler Devlin uh, a lot more. He's part of the part of the RAF, but I heard that he was going away. Um, obviously, as part of being you know with the RAF and stuff, and this was going to be his last match for a while. So he really wanted to to go all in. And you know what? There was something about that that, as ridiculous as it was, I kind of envied because I used to you know thinking about what. Myself, you know, when we was a backyard wrestler, we'd just be playing wrestling in the street. If someone walked by and stopped to watch us, the hardcore just got amplified by like by ten. Do you know, someone somebody walking by, like a couple, you know, a couple of, like other teenagers around the area or something, they'd be watching us like, oh, these guys are sick. Next thing you know, you, you're getting whacked over the head with a street sign. It's like Jesus Christ, you know, that took. So in a way, I kind of miss having that mentality where I'd go all in. For free, you know, you, no, no one's paying you to wrestle in your back garden. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I miss having that mentality when that was everything. And I think now it even makes me laugh because obviously I've been, I've been wrestling for God, 12, 13 years, I think, or something now. And um, you look back at that and, and I think, God, the stuff I used to do in front of nobody, you know, in terms of like putting myself at harm and stuff like that now when you do a show and there's, if, you know, on the rare occasion that in terms of British wrestling, you know, we've had a massive boom and you don't really get like um, really low crowds anymore. But now if you turn up and there's less than hundred people, you kind of go, oh, I'll just, you know what I mean? I won't do anything too silly tonight then, you know, main thing, you know, obviously always keeping yourself, keeping yourself safe. But to be honest, I, that's something that I do resent in a way about me. Like, I don't think I, I don't think I really take risks anymore. I don't think I, I really push the ball out anymore. And I think it's because I, f- I think about, say, you know, Dave Graves, he had a he had a knee injury uh, last year where I think it was either last year or the year before. He came off the corner with a, a double axe handle off the second row. And he completely, like, I think it was either like his ACL or he did something to his knee that was pretty bad. And that was just from something so basic. And I think I'm, you know, I'm 28 now. I started when I was, when I was 15, uh, granted the first many years was, was just, you know, n- nothing really comparative. If someone now said they'd been wrestling for, you know, five years or something like that, you know, that'd probably equate to like my first 10 years or something really. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I just think now because I'm 28, if I if I did get a, a real injury or something that really put me on the shelf that I needed surgery and things like that for, you know, touch wood, it don't happen. I'd probably just stop. And I've had I've had I've had fun, and that's what wrestling's always been about for me. You know, for a long time now, it's never been about making something of myself or. And which you know, it's weird actually. I, I, I talk about this because wrestling has changed so much, hasn't it? You know, we've had a massive boom, and you've. I remember my, my comparison when I was when I was you know, younger was El Ligero. I looked at Liggs and I thought, he's so busy. He's wrestling multiple shows a day. Um, and I remember having, I don't, know, I don't think he might be saying, but I remember having a really honest chat with, with uh, you know, Ligero at the time. And, and he said, like, you know, he was living at home. He didn't drive. Um, he, he, part of it was that he just couldn't afford to move out of Central. I think that was kind of the gist of what he was saying. And I was a big fan of Ligero. He was one of my first really big British wrestling influences when I first got into, you know, in, into the scene. And I thought, if this guy, who is, in my opinion, I was like, this guy is the best. I thought, if he can afford to move out, if he can't afford to get a car, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to try and get a different. I'm gonna have to, you know, focus on something else because, you know, that's 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 not necessarily the life for me. You know, I need, I need to. I'm not a materialistic person, but I'd like to think I'd be able to provide for a family. You know, that was kind of my aim. And now, you know, wrestling has changed so much. We've had a massive boom. And those guys that did go all in are reaping the rewards from it. And, and absolutely so. You know, Liguero are now part of the NXT UK brand. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of those guys who, who did go all in, you know, you look at uh, Kip Sabian, you know, now massive part of AEW. It was only two years ago. He was, a, you know, again, still a full-time wrestler. We was in Lincoln for a show with Fight Factory Wrestling. And he was doing a double header the afternoon and the evening. And, you know, we'd gone to Nando's. and he. he he couldn't, he, you know, he wasn't going to come because he couldn't afford the Nando's. You know, I was like, ah, you, you can't be left out. You know, well, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it for you. You know, I'll cover it for you, whatever it was. Can't really remember, but you know, it was just hard being a full. You know, that I, I never wanted to be a full-time professional wrestler because I thought, man, these these guys just aren't getting anywhere with it. But now, there's there's contracts available for even you know British wrestlers and stuff like Lucas Steele, Nathan Cruz, Rampage Brown. I know those guys are signed with like. Um, Alex Shane's sort of umbrella and what he's doing. Um, again, I don't know, don't know the ins and outs of, of that. But then you've obviously got your NXT UK stuff now. AEW has uh, recently come out in the past sort of year or so. You know, and you've got British talent like Jimmy Havoc and, and Kip Sabian going over there. Wrestling's completely changing. Those that went all in are now reaping reaping the rewards of it. And it's not just like the guys who have got signed either. It's like, I think that it's a lot more attainable to actually make a full on uh, income from just indie events. Like, because there's so many shows, you know, if you're going and you're doing double headers, like how Ligero used to do, obviously, like you go and do like two shows in a night, like you can do that. And, and suddenly before you know it, you've, you've got some all right money from this, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's it. I think now, I mean, I'd be, if I was coming into the job now, I'd be, I think I'd have a completely different mentality. Um, I, you know, I would be going all in. But like, uh, I, I don't know if this is part of this podcast. I don't know if we was talking about it before we started recording, but when we was talking about dieting and things like that, you know, I've, I've never, I've never completely fully committed to a diet. You know, I obviously I've, I've, I've had like little fads and stuff and I've tried to put on weight and stuff, but uh, weight training and those sort of things but even now you know it's, it's it's not necessarily the be all and end all you look at i mean drake maverick now there's it's really popping off for him you know since the since they ironically released him and you know he's short he's you know he's, i don't i don't know how big he is you know i think he's about five five eight or something you know maybe a bit smaller i'm not too sure 
Um, but you don't need to you don't need to be this massive guy anymore. And in terms of British wrestling, some of the standout talents so far for me is is Joe Nelson, which again I know he's only a young lad, he's seventeen. You know, no one's expecting him to you know look like the Hulk. <laughs> but then you've got um, Ojo Moan. I think uh, Ojo Mo, he's he's um, I think he's twenty eight. There was something about his his birthday the other day. You know that was kind of came out because I always thought he was a lot younger. But again, he's a he's a you know he's a really slim guy. But he's so entertaining to watch. And I think that's where we've moved from in wrestling over the years. We're not looking at we're not asking people to look like Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior anymore. Even though that was part of the appeal, I think for me when I was younger was seeing. Again, it sounds quite generic. A lot of people say it, but these real-life superheroes now coming, you know, on on the TV screens and, and battling it out. Um, whereas now, there's there's this appreciation for people who aren't, you know, massive. And and Ojo Mo, again, like he's he's had a really good couple of years. I think I had a chat with him in I think it was December last year. Um, there was one of my last shows of the year, and just as he was leaving, you know, I shook hands and said, you know, mate, you, you've had a hell of a year. Do you know, do you know, keep up the good work, and you know, we, we hugged it out and stuff. And he's again, he's continuing that momentum now. Um, but again, he's not a very big built guy. I think you don't have to be super built but i think what what um more so than ever now is you know you've got to be an athlete i think that like you know i I spoke to stevie knight on my last podcast i also had joe nelson on as well uh you know just about how um you've really got to kind of treat it like it's a sport you know like um and and like uh, for me as well like that never really sunk in before because when I got into wrestling I was the same as yourself I liked the characters I liked the personas but the thing is what I've realized and this is what I I said to Stevie as well and he was nice enough to compliment me on it he said that like uh, if you've got that part down you know like the the, obviously with me doing performing and things my practically my whole life I've got the the you know the, the the showmanship down. What I need to do now is be an athlete, and that's yeah. uh, that's what I'm working on the most, I think. And that's what all yeah. the guys on the scene need to be, I guess. Yeah, that that no, you're exactly it. And I think to be fair, with the thing is with wrestling now, because a full time living is so attainable now, the competition is getting harder and harder. There used to be a thing when I was like you know a bit younger called like the UK Fan Forum Top 50. And you'd look at it and like your first, I'd say between maybe like 40 and 50, you'd be looking at people and go, oh, they're not that good. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now, if you try to, you know, summarize the top 50 professional wrestlers in Britain, you'd have a, you'd have a hard time. Like I think every, the way it used to work is people would submit their own list to like their top 10 uh, favorite British wrestlers. And you know, I mean, trying to trying to narrow down the top ten now is is so difficult. I mean, my favourites to to you know watch are Rampage Brown. I absolutely love watching Rampage Brown. Um, you know, Rampage Brown's that guy. If if you've got your dads in the audience who think wrestling's fake, it's like you know, just <laughs> come watch Rampage. And you'd be like, hang about there, do you know. Uh, so you got Rampage Brown. I mean, I'm a, a massive fan of uh, El Ligero as well. You know, I always have been. Again, it's the the mask. Uh, what I love about watching Ligero is his body language. Uh, Joey Hayes is someone that, again, I, I try and model myself a lot after, you know, Joey Hayes' stuff as well, because Joey's not someone with this massive gimmick or anything like that. He's, you know, I know he kind of does that man sort of thing at the moment, but he's just, he's so technically profound I suppose in the sense that he's, he's a really good all-round like I've seen him do you know technical like hold for hold wrestling I've seen him you know fly he's he's he, you know you've seen him brawl he's just he's wonderful to watch you know so it, it is I think I mean I'm not going to go my, into my top 10 or anything but it's just 
the the competition again and these these are the three people that have been around for years i'm not even talking about any of the new talent that's coming in because if you talk about i, I say new talent robbie x has only just started to get the attention that he deserves over the past well, a couple of years or so but robbie x you know i, I mean i'm I, me and Robbie were the NGW Tag Team Champions and even when we're on, you know, the, the Butlins runs and on my team and at like the whole city hall, I'm on the apron and I'm just watching him and it's like mind blowing. It's like, oh my gosh, how is that possible? And the thing is like the way I've kind of structured our matches now, it's like I've always got to come in before Robbie. Because if Robbie comes in and does all this stuff and then I come in and just do an arm drag and a drop kick, it's like <laughs> you know what I mean, the, the momentum's taking a, a dab yeah, off yeah. it. Sort of thing. So, when like, you Robbie, say it uh, with Robbie as well, like what I've, what I again, I totally agree. It's baffling because to me, when I'm in the ring, right, and I've got all my gear on and I've got my boots on and all like that, I feel quite heavy. Like I feel like you know, like like suddenly it's much harder to just to jump than it is in everyday life. You know, I, I feel like it, and I, I'm like, oh my god, like how does he? He literally moves like gravity just I guess switched off in his matches. It's, it's insane. I really, I mean, I really struggled when I first transitioned to actual wrestling boots because I used to find them so heavy. Like going from like boxing boots and kick pads, where you've got so much movement and freedom, moving to wrestling boots, I felt really restricted. But I also felt like I, I needed to look this certain way. I mean, there was a big thing back then. I mean, especially because I used to do like some of the all-star wrestling shows. You know, if you didn't have boots when you did those shows, you know, those guys would cuss you out essentially because. It, there's a bit. The thing is with wrestling boots is they're expensive for starters. As you know, you've just got your custom-made boots that you spent like 200 not pound on. You know, it's it's a big investment. And the thing is that their kind of mentality was that if you don't have boots, you don't look like you're willing to invest in yourself. You're not willing to put that essential investment. And it's the same with wrestling gear. You know, if you see someone with like a pair of eBay tights or something like that, you know, the generic tights that you search wrestling gear on eBay. I mean, you do a show with some lads that are quite green. You always see them in the same sort of, you know, tight stuff that Robbie X did used to wear, ironically, in like 2008 when we're going back that far. But yeah, there's this big investment, this big idea, sorry, about investing in yourself and and boots are, are a big part of that. Whereas now, I mean, you look at a lot of uh, even WE, um, I think, I mean, I watched something before and I'm, I'm pretty sure um, Dev, no, not Devlin, what's he called? Finn Balor, what was that? Prince Devitt, yeah. Um, he, he had like um, local boxing boots on or amateur wrestling boots and stuff like that. Do you know, that's people. That's the kind of where people are now. It's, it's not necessarily about, and then again, if you, you're as ripped as Finn Balor, you're not going to be worried about, you know, what, what sort of, but your boots are looking like I am. <laughs> the investment's evident, evident, isn't it? Um, so moving away from that a little bit, uh, Matt, and go, going back to my uh, what I've got listed down here, um, I wanted to mention a little bit about how. So, so um, how long did you say that you've been you've been working? Uh, I've been wrestling. Like I said, I think I did my first match. Bear in mind, you know, I, I came in very, very soon. So I think I started training like. March time, and I think by the June or something, I was having my first ever first ever match or something. Like that. Within three months, I was, I was put on a show. Uh, so that was 2006, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. So, yeah, you've right. got 14 years this August. Damn. So in that in that uh, 14 years, uh, you very rarely played heel, right? You were mainly a face. Yeah. yeah well, so yeah. tell me a little bit about your, uh, your kind of heel stuff in, in BWR that you're recently doing. 
So, do you know, the funny thing is with wrestling, you know, I remember some of my, my earlier lessons, people always said that your wrestling character should be an extension of yourself in, in some way, you know. That was kind of one of the, one of the big things. And I, I think for me, I was... I really, I really didn't like playing villain when I first came into the job because obviously for, I mean, for years, bear in mind, I think of my, my original trainers was the Urban Warrior and then I was getting trained by Steve Sykes for a couple of years and then Dave Rain for a little bit. And whilst I always learned things with those guys, I never felt like I was actually any any good until I started training with, with El Laguerra, who I, who I do consider my, my main mentor in wrestling. And I think because I knew I wasn't very good, the idea of playing villain I really struggled with it because when people start booing me, I'm like, are they booing me because I'm the bad guy or are they booing me because I'm rotten? You know, <laughs> that was kind of my thing. You know, so I always found it easier to play the good guy because even when I and even when I knew I wasn't very good, um, people cheering me felt like, okay, I, I am. You know, I'm, I'm not terrible, sort of thing. But I think from there, I just. I, I, you know, I always, I prefer that I do, I do prefer the role of the babyface. I'll be honest, like doing these stuff with uh, British Wrestling Revolution at the moment as a villain has been quite a hard transition, um, because I, I feel if you put me in there as a babyface and asked me to just add a little match together, um, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to because I know exactly what I need to do and when. And even when teaching wrestling, when I talk about how to play the villain, I feel very confident in doing that. But when I'm in there and I'm in that role, I, I feel I feel quite unsure of myself. Do you know what I mean? And the only way that I can be sure of myself is I'm just going to be myself in a really, really dickish mood, essentially. And that's part of what I can be like. I, I mean, I even said to the wife, I was like, tell me some things you don't like about me. And she's like, well, sometimes when you prove when, when you write about something, you, you know, you really cocksure yourself and you get really arrogant about it and really stuck. You know? So I was trying to find all these things that people dislike about me because that was something that I found you know again it was something that I saw on social media but it was about how there are a million different versions of you out there so how you know me and how say my wife knows me are two completely different people and then you add the fact that how I think of myself is completely different to how you perceive me and how she you know and that was something that I thought was again really interesting and and you take all these negative sort of qualities that people have about you and you try and bundle it into this this character together. Now, if you ask me what the character was, I can't really nail it because it's not a gimmick. All I can say is just a really dickish version of myself. Uh-huh. Um, it has been great though, because obviously I, there was the there was the uh, Paul Douglas, who was one of the uh, sort of long-time wrestling fans, you know. Um, he he always gets right up in my face, and there was a, there was a moment with me and him at a British Wrestling Revolution show where. Uh, what was the first one? There was something the first time I think it was, or maybe this was the first time. But I like pulled his jacket off and pulled him over, pulled him over the railing essentially, and sort of slapped him about a bit. I remember that getting a really negative reaction. But me and Paul are friends, you know, we've known each other a long time. You know, cut out the bag, and that was that was a work. I'm not gonna. I'm a professional. Do you know what I mean? I'm not gonna pull a cra- a fan over the over the barrier. <laughs> the best part about that was is that we didn't tell Devlin. Uh, and we didn't tell Richard, uh, Richard Young or we didn't help tell Hags either that we was doing it. Because to be honest, I wasn't entirely sure if I was going to do it. It was something that Dougie had messaged me about and said, oh, why don't we do this? You know, get you, you, know, you, get you some heat, you know. And me being, again, new to the, being a villain, I thought, well, I, you know, I'll take anything I can get, really, you know, in terms of in terms of heat. 
And um, yeah, so that was something we did. And I remember coming back and Richard Young and Hags and Devlin, they was all all mortified by that. You know, like, what went on? I was like, oh man, you know, it's a work. It's like, and Youngie was like, you know, you could have, you could have fucking told me about that stuff. And I was like, yeah, man, it's, it's cool. But you got I, I remember, um, I remember being backstage with that, and uh, and all the workers and everything was like, oh my god, like shit's just gone down. And then I was listening to it, and like, it was like, oh, Matt's just like lost it and threw this guy over the. And I was still sat down, man. I was just chill because I was like, dude, like that guy. If I had to like say who the hell is the biggest professional in this room you know it's gonna be matt so there's no way that that's not a work you know no i appreciate that but yeah you know definitely got it was yeah definitely work i wouldn't wouldn't dream of doing anything like that but what made me laugh is there's um like you know be rather they have like a a fan like a facebook page or something i'm I'm not part of it but i got sent like a couple of screenshots from a, a, a friend that's part of it and it was kind of like calls to boycott me from a British Wrestling Revolution because I and you know, I shouldn't ever put my hands on a fan or something like that. Which, again, like I said, I mean, I was I was laughing about it because I thought, yeah, you know, if people, the thing is, we're, we're in a very different era of wrestling now, and you can't necessarily be a villain just by cheating. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the kids are gonna buy that, but you know, the adults kind of buy into it for the sake of buying into it. But I think in order to really be a villain, now you have to really be disliked. And it's quite hard to be a villain these days because, especially if you're a full-time professional wrestler, because you need to shill merchandise in order to make a living as well. Uh-huh. So you look at guys like Mark Haskins, who, again, when he plays a villain, he'll play a villain, but then you know, he'll be out there selling merch and chatting to fans and smiling and shaking hands because, again, you know, credit to him, he's, he's trying to make a living off, off wrestling you know, by, by selling his merch. But you don't really get real-life villains anymore. And you have to, I think, in order to do it, you have to... You have to try and find ways to, to genuinely be disliked. And the problem with wrestling is the only way that you're genuinely disliked these days is by being a shit wrestler. You know, that's, the only, that's the only way fans will dislike you. Well, the um, the, my kind of take on, like, face and heel and stuff is, like, and, and I got it uh, through a few different means, but my main thing is I was in a, in, sat in a, a car with uh, Pete Dunne, and we, we, we drove for, like, uh, two hours there and two hours back. And so I had like nearly like five hours with this guy. And I was just like sat there and I, I was making sure that I got the most out of this opportunity. I was asking everything. And we we spoke for so long about two things. Two of the main things came up in that conversation. Number one was veganism. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, whatever. The second one, which was the second most talked thing in that entire journey, was wrestling psychology and about how, and like face and heel particularly. And um, something that I got from him, in my opinion, I think that the whole face and heel thing, it's it doesn't exist anymore. It's outdated. It's just not a thing. Because even when you watch like a, a TV show, uh, there, it's not like, oh, he's the bad guy. It's There's always yeah. twists, turns, gray areas. So when I take Reese Ryan and my, 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 my persona on board, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, obviously it's not recorded now, but we mentioned earlier about a chat that we had at Megaslam. Where the way that I kind of do things is I just think, okay, what is Reese Ryan like as a character? And then I list these things, what he does in certain situations. And then I don't even think, because the secondary thing of that is how the audience will take it. And naturally, luckily enough for me, most of the qualities that Reese Ryan has makes him a heel. Uh, but the thing is, if I was face, all that Reese Ryan would do would be beat up the guy that they don't like. I wouldn't suddenly be like slapping hands and changing everything. Yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and that, that's that's the thing. And uh, do you know, I, I always I always love the conversation about you know the faces and, and villains because I think in terms of in terms of it being dead, you know, you're, you're right in 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 some respects, but it really depends on your audience because I find that when we do the Butlin shows, there's a heavy emphasis on good guy versus bad guy. You know that that's part of it, but to a more mature audience, and don't get me wrong, I think like you know for for those who aren't necessarily clued up, you know, as a as the villain, you are the aggressor in the match. Essentially, you take you primarily take the control. As the babyface, you get slapped about a bit, and you take your opportunities to to fight up. When you don't, when even if you, so I remember I remember doing a title wrestling show before, and I asked the promoter Ian. It was one of the first times I'd ever wrestled for him. I said, "Am I am I a villain or bit? Um, do you know I'm a, a villain or the babyface?" And he was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Well, what do you want me as?" He was like, "No, so it's up to you." And I was like. What do you mean it's up to me? Do you know what I mean? Like how and th- obviously there's a bigger part of that because if every if you had an entire show where it's the bad guy who wins and wins, do you know what I mean? It's gonna be a really bad show. You're not gonna have any feel-good moments, really. But I also kind of even now looking back at it, I think whilst he didn't necessarily know what he was doing, there is some there is some value in in do you know what I mean? The fans are gonna decide in some way who is their baby face and who is their villain. And I've been in, I've been in, you know, matches where I remember wrestling Martin Kirby before on a on a free CW show up in, uh, I don't know, like Newcastle area, I think it was. And we did the, he, he comes out, he was supposed to be the villain, I was supposed to be the baby face. We come out, he gets cheated. Obviously, I get sort of booed. Uh, it was the first time doing the, the Chuck Wood gimmick as well, so you know, it was quite quite new to obviously that crowd as well. Um, so we just had to change it around essentially, just on the fly, you know. And then I just started being the aggressor in the match. Uh, we pretty much kept most of the content the same in what was the, you know, the key parts that had been planned. But we just had to think on our feet a little bit. And because again, he was getting the better reception, there was no point in him being the aggressor because it wouldn't have got the same reaction, especially in, te- in terms of the finish. So you know, I had to take on on that role. But yeah, wrestling man, it's it's changed it's changed so much, and it's a shame in some way because one of the things that I fell in love with wrestling was the good guy versus bad guy. You know, it's like anything, you know, superheroes and stuff. When you you know when you when you're a kid that's you know five six years old, you know Batman and Spider Man are your absolute idols. That you know the Power Rangers and you know the Joker's the bad guy, you know Venom's the bad guy, and stuff. Is that and it's kind of how. The the world's very black and white, isn't it? As a as a child, and I think wrestling can can be black and white, but now in more recent years, we're, we're in a very gray area with wrestling because the audience are pretty much the, the, the dictators, I suppose, in, in what we, in what we do. So um, as well, something that I wanted to touch on, Matt, is uh, see, I, I don't have an awful lot of experience with this uh, just because I haven't done many of them. And also it's not really something that I, I particularly enjoy watching. So I don't quite, I don't think I, I, well, you know, I get quite nervous when I do them, but it's, uh, it's tag team wrestling. Uh, yeah. So um, you, where do you stand on that? Because I know that you've been in quite a few kind of tag teams that I've seen. Uh, is it something that you particularly favor or is it just like look at the draw? It, do you know what? Tag team wrestling, if it depends on my cardio, man. If I've got good cardio, I'm happy to be a singles wrestler. If, I've, if my cardio is shocked, I'm like, please put me in a tag match. You know, so I could just sit on the, stand on the apron for most of the match. But no, tag team wrestling, it's, it's a completely different ball game, and I think not a lot of people really work to tag team wrestling in the way that they're supposed to. Because I feel like in a tag team match, everything that the villain should do, especially every time the villain gets on top, it should be because their partner has helped them. 
uh, that obviously it creates that creates the heat, I suppose, especially in terms of the cheating and, and so forth. And what you've got to remember with wrestling is wrestling is a variety show. You know, that's why I'm quite happy to have like skinnier wrestlers on shows as well as like having you, you know, your big guys like Lucas Steele, Adam Max did, you know, two big heavyweights and, and so forth. Wrestling's a variety show. So you've got to make your tag match stand out to your singles matches. What is the point in doing a, a tag match where you come in, you do like your, your baby face shine and then you tag in and then they do their baby face shine. And it's just like, or they cut you, do you know what I mean? Or they just cut you off by themselves without the help of their partner. It just it's just gonna blend in with the rest of the show. So you've got to find think of all those really niche things that happen on that can only happen in tag matches and and work around that. It's the same when you've got a manager at ringside. Now you see it so many times, people, you know, get their the they've got a manager with them and then the manager doesn't do anything to the point where you almost forget that there was there. And they get the manager involved in the same way that they would in a tag match, you know, have them get involved in the cutoff and, and, you know, get that, have them get that heat for you essentially. But yeah, it is, it's, it's a completely different ball game and it's something that I'm still not new to. Uh, I've been doing it a while, but I think in my entire time wrestling, I've never really had a proper tag team partner where we've had like matching gear and, you know, things like that. So uh, me and Liam Slater, we did a tag run, uh, you know, years ago. And that was like the closest thing at that time that I'd ever had to having a proper tag team partner. Uh, I wore like red and gold. He wore green and gold. We had like the matching sunglasses and stuff like that. It was, it was all ridiculous. We was the superpower party force. We came out to the Venga boys. It was just, I don't even, I don't even know. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, and then obviously when I, I started with BWR, uh, Kelvin Curtin had asked me about, you know, doing like the, the Iron Man stuff because I was obviously in NGW, I always kind of had the Captain America themed gear. And at first I was a bit on the fence about it because there's a tag team up in Nottingham called Battle Squad Awesome uh, that was doing, you know, a similar thing of Iron Man and Captain America and things like that, which coincidentally was how my Captain America gear first got created because uh, Dam and Dave Andrews, who was the Captain America in that team, uh, he recently just had a kid. He was taking some time off wrestling. Uh, so I joined in with uh, Danny Chase and created Battle Squad Amazing. Which was pretty fun at first because, like, again, we got to wrestle Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty Too Hotty, which was, like, you know, like my favourite tag team as a kid, you know, watching wrestling. Um, and then from there, obviously, the Captain America game, the Captain America gear uh, stayed with me. And then, yeah, Kelvin came with that. So we had kind of, like, the tag team gear going on there and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was... It was it was just it was new to me, I suppose. And the thing with Kelvin, uh, that was quite difficult because he was still really green, you know, as a trainee. Uh, and I didn't feel like I was completely great at these tag team matches anyway. So obviously you've got me with what I felt was quite limited knowledge around tag team wrestling in terms of the intricacies of it, trying to help and teach somebody else who was really green to it to tag team wrestling as well, you know. But, yeah, more recently, uh, teaming now with Robbie X. Um, again, more tag team experience myself. Me and him gel really well together. Uh, I've teamed with Lucas Steele a couple of times now as villains, which, again, going back to the difficulty of playing villain, that's a really helpful for me in being, a, being in a villain tag team because I've got somebody to bounce off. So when I am feeling a little bit insecure or unsure of myself and am I doing things right, I've got someone there to bounce off and, you know, that helps. And obviously most recently with Nathan Cruz, where we've just won the British Wrestling Revolution Tag Team Championships as well. So, yeah, it's it's different. That's, that's my main advice. Just make sure when you are doing a tag team match, if, you know, for any, you know, trainees or something, what makes it different to any other 
singles match on the card, essentially. That's where I'd go. I remember um, the only like tag match that I've done uh, on an on a on a show in the past kind of couple of years was uh, I, I remember it was whilst um, Cole Cole Quinzel was injured and uh, the uh, and their tag team the one with Scotty Rock um, they uh, they had a booking down in uh, WrestleForce down in Essex and they were like oh my god he's injured I we need a guy and they were playing heel so I was like well if you're playing heel you know take me uh, so it was me and Scotty which is just such a weird combination yeah. but like I started doing like their moves so like they do like the uh, the the code breaker lion salt thing yeah. and I was like doing the code breaker of that and I was like this is pretty cool <laughs> you know like uh, I I really enjoyed that because I was against uh Ollie Peace uh, and one of his uh kind of local trainees uh and it was it was really easy really cool uh, I think I I took the finish and it was just so fun hearing that pop because we got over so well um, I think the thing is, if, if you can find, if you if you do if in a tag team, if you're doing it with a friend, it makes it so much more fun. Again, that's what made the the um, the tag team win uh, for the British Wrestling Revolution Tag Team Championship so much fun is because, bear in mind, I've been friends with Nathan uh, Cruz since I was like seven or eight years old or something like that. So you know, coming up to like you know twenty years of friendship or something. Um, pretty much my entire life but we've never we've never been a tag team you know we've, I think we did one or two matches in uh, new generation wrestling as a tag team but nothing you know proper uh, but having somebody there again it just makes the whole experience so much more fun you know and I think that's the thing like again I don't know what how close you are with Scotty Rock but like you said that just being in there and enjoying it part of that comes from just enjoying enjoying who your tag team partner is and enjoying your company essentially I remember, uh, you know, he was speaking about how it was afterwards as well. And I felt quite fortunate that that I feel like I added something to that as well, because he said afterwards, he was like, hell, man, I got like we got over as a heel so much more than if it was just me and Cole. Because the thing is, as much as I'm not cool with tag team wrestling, what I am cool with is making a crowd hate me. So like uh, so that, you know, that was just probably why it was so fun, because I felt so in my element. And it was so cool to see Scotty as well, who hasn't got all that much experience doing heel work. Uh, I was like tagging him in and I could see that he was, he was confident because I was confident and like, yeah, and that's, and that's the, he'll probably, I mean, Scotty Rock again, you know, he does a lot of baby face work. He'll be, he probably felt similar to me in that way. You know, having someone there who's more comfortable in being a villain, like Lucas Steele again, he's, he's always been a villain. Nathan Cruz primarily always been the villain, you know, but so when you've got someone that was really experienced in that role, like again, you're not, massively on tag team wrestling but scotty rock does a lot of tag team wrestling and, and you know vice versa in terms of him with you and the character it, it's bouncing off each other so yeah he's probably right he probably did get a better reaction to what it would have been if it was just him and cole so tell me uh matt as well something that i've got written down here uh i try and ask this to most of my guests because i think that it comes comes with a really cool response obviously wrestling is has changed and it keeps evolving it it's just, it's always evolving where do you think wrestling is going what do you think is like, you know, what's wrestling going to look like in 10 years? I just had a flashback. I remember when um, I remember watching like a shoot interview with Teddy Hart and someone asked him this question and he was high. He was obviously high as fuck. And, and he starts talking about how they're going to introduce like half pipes and skateboards into wrestling. And it's just a joke. I remember that. I was like, I'll say it, but it might not get the reference. Honestly, I think it, it's really hard to tell. I think the thing with wrestling is the one thing that I've noticed is that we come around in circles a lot of the time. So, I, you know, I think where we are now with wrestling, 
and it's been appreciated a little bit more is over the past sort of few years we've become this really sort of you know indie I'll, I'll use that you know loosely where it's just move after move super kick bang 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 i feel like now over the past maybe you know, again, it's only started to be really early, but the past year or two, I think people are starting to invest more in characters and more into storytelling. So it's not about who can do, you know, a triple moonsault off the corner to the outside or anything like that. You know, if you if you time things right, a house show dad would get that exact same reaction, that same pop. And I think that's where we're going to be moving to. Again, when I talk about coming around in circles, I think we're going to have more appreciation and more of an emphasis on storytelling but again like with this with the with the COVID-19 pandemic that we're going through when we come back that's a really good time to capitalize on storytelling because people aren't necessarily you know getting to witness well people definitely aren't witnessing live wrestling um so we're going to come back and we're going to have them shows and it, it can happen i remember the first british wrestling revolution show i did i did a hip toss and the crowd went absolutely insane do you know what i mean it's such a basic move and i feel like that's we're, in, we're at a time where we can, if we want to, where we can capitalise on, on resetting what we're doing and really focusing more on storytelling and not ridiculous super kick, super kick, dive, dive, dive sort of type of wrestling. Well, uh, I totally agree with what you're saying as well. And, and I was listening to uh, um, uh, Nick Aldis uh, on a podcast Again, Stevie Knight's podcast, I listen to it a lot, can you tell? Yeah. Uh, but um, they, uh, he was saying about how you don't have to, like, because he said about how it can get really boring listening to people argue about what, like, which area of wrestling is better. But he literally said, look, why the hell do we need to have these two complete ends of the spectrum where you've got one guy arguing that um, working a headlock for an hour is boring and the other guy saying, yeah, well, you don't need 50 super kicks and to kill yourself with dives. It's like, why can't there be this symbiotic mixture? And I think that, like you say, that's where wrestling is going. I think it's going to kind of mix the old school with the new school like look at nwa for example nwa power uh people are going mental for that at the minute and I, I watch it and i love it because like they did a they did a superplex and suddenly i was like oh my god that's it you yeah. know and like that never happens like you know you like super uh, nowadays you do a superplex and they'll pull you straight up and do another move you know yeah and, and you know the thing is with wrestling as well, like you're absolutely right. There doesn't need to be these two different ends of the spectrum. I think my look on wrestling and has always been that wrestling should be a variety show anyway. It's something that I touched on earlier in terms of having your small guys, your big guys, your tag team matches, and, and so forth. But absolutely, if you have a show where every single match is like um, you know super kick, super kick, dive, 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 your crowd are going to be bent out. But if you start out with a nice sort of um, match where the, the two uh, it's a really strong good guy and a really strong bad guy for example just to sort of introduce the crowd to that concept of good guy versus bad guy i know like we've just said wrestling's you know changed a lot and you know people don't always take to that but again for the people there's always there's always people there who are, who are watching wrestling for the first time as well you've got to educate them on, on what wrestling is so i have two strong characters there a good guy and a bad guy uh, and then move into obviously like maybe finish the show with you with you two with you two you know big men uh, have your tag match in there, but have a cool, have a cool indie match in there as well, where it is, you know, it is you know, balls to the wall, go go go, because if it's part of a variety, there's nothing wrong with it. My my issue with that style of wrestling is when every match is doing it, and when the the guys in the back aren't communicating with each other. You know, there's nothing worse when you see, 
someone throw away a DDT in the beginning of a match, but then to the match later on does a DDT as the finish because then it's like, well, you know, the guy who kicked out of it in the first sort of you know 30 seconds of a match is just buried the finish to the other match. And the other match didn't even know because no one was asking those sort of questions anyway, really. So, yeah, I think that there's definitely a place for it, in my opinion. Uh, you look at sort of Will Ospreay and stuff like that. And again, I'll be honest, when I remember when I first started watching Will, I wasn't a fan because I felt like it was all just throwaway content. It was too fast. It was movement. It was, a lot of, it was all wasted. Whereas like now when you watch Will, I think he really picks his moments to to sort of put put what he's doing in there. I mean, what, if, if I think of Will Ospreay, one of the first things that comes to mind is there was a moment in it, when you talk about storytelling, it was a really, a really small piece of a match that he did where he took the, he took the Frankensteiner off the second rope and he did a front flip and he landed on his feet and he pulled this facial and the camera captures it perfectly. And that's what I think of when I think of Will. I don't think of him and Ricochet necessarily doing that really big crazy intro where it's duck, duck, bang, bang, you know, backflip, this, that, and the other. I think of that one moment, and that's where we are, you know, with wrestling, is it doesn't matter what style you're doing, as long as you can create a moment with something like that, that's that's what everyone should be aiming to, creating a memorable moment. I remember I had a, uh, I had a match with Joe Hendry, and that's what he said. He said, because he kind of, when he plans matches, he doesn't plan spots, he plans moments. So he's like, yeah. all right, so at that point, this will happen, and then the, yeah. then the mindset will change. And like, yeah, I think that that was really dope. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's it is. Uh, I mean, I've, I've actually just watched a match there that me and Joe Henry had back. Uh, I watched that the other day, and yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. Essentially, is is creating moments. And I think even in that sort of match that we did, the intro is it's me coming out and apologising for interrupting, you know, the Joe Henry show previously. And then, um, yeah, what I do is essentially, you know, I punch him in the face when, I, you know, I've got to hand him chocolates, I hand him these flowers, he just throws them out, the, you know, he throws them, like, kicks them into the crowd and then, like, doesn't accept my apology. And I was like, no, no, I'm not apologising for that. You know, I'm not apologising for interrupting the Joe Henry show, I'm apologising for this. And I punched him in the face and the crowd went mental for it. You know, it was just, it was a moment. But the problem with that was it was at the very start of the match, you know, and it was a really good moment. And I think that's the one thing when you do, plan your, when you are planning your moments is make sure that you've got them in, in the right order, that you're not having your uh, like your best moment happening in your first sort of you know two, couple of minutes of your match. You want to make sure the best moments are coming at the end. Uh, again, you look at using the match that uh, was the last match I had before the lockdown was the, I think it was the last match I had before the lockdown, uh, was the tag team match at uh, BWR where me and Cruzy won the championships. But the moment where... Um, Cole, uh, where Rampage Brown comes out, it looks like Cole and Connor are going to win. Rampage Brown comes out, pushes them to off the ladder through the tables. Obviously, that's it is. It's a big sort of holy shit moment. But the moment where obviously us three are stood together and there's sort of this unity, you know, and the, and the way the crowd reacted to it, which is from the video that I shared where old women are, you know, flipping us off and, you know, fuck out, you know giving us all that. That's it was that was the moment. You know, the, the pop came from him going for the table, but the moment was was us that we cheated to win at that point and, you know, took these championships off these two uh, long-time running tag team champions in a really, really shady way. All right, Matt. So just before we go on to the word association as well, one more question I want to ask is, uh, what is, uh, in your opinion, I want to know who are the next breakout stars in British wrestling? The first, the first one that comes to mind for me is uh, Joe Nelson. Um, Joe's been around, obviously, 
It's weird because the guy, the guy is still about twelve, but he's been around for about ten years or something like that. Now. <laughs> That's still like a, a really young, a really young Joe Nelson. So, um, yeah, so Joe Nelson definitely, I think he's really, really gained this momentum over the past sort of year or so, especially doing like the new Kid Like Us Two thing. That's really uh, put some eyes on him. But yeah, with Joe, I mean, we did a we did a triple threat match not so long ago, and. The way he, I mean, to be honest, me and Robbie were were the more experienced of, of the, you know, of the three of us in that match. But the way Joe was able to put things together and sort of structure that match together, I was just sat there looking. I wasn't really taking in what he was saying, but in, you know, improperly, but it was just blowing my mind because I was like, man, this guy's like 16, 17 or something, and he's just so experienced. You know, we, we've got a little joke with Joe Nelson. Now we call him Old Man Joe because, like, it's just so. Makes you laugh, you just so fed up, like you can get to a show and it's like, hey, Joe, you know, so it's like, you're looking forward to your match. He's like, yeah, you know, it's just well, that for me, it was like, you know, all, all, all guns blazing. I couldn't, couldn't wait to get going, but he's just this jaded veteran at 17 years old. Uh, the other one would be, I really, I really enjoy uh, Big Guns Joe. Um, he's taken a gimmick that's, it's not like anything completely unique, but there's something really charismatic about it. Him, you know, and captivating about him, and yeah, I, I always, re- I always really enjoy watching uh, the big guns, Joe. I think Derice is, you know, Derice has got a lot of potential at the moment. Um, you know, I've enjoyed watching, especially with like again, I think he's only about, I don't even know how old he is. I, I don't think he's much. I think he's around about twenty, twenty-one, maybe. I'm, I'm honestly not too sure. I know he's, I know he's a young lad. But yeah, he's got a ton of potential as well. It's hard to say because again, we're wrestling. There's just so many people out there at the moment who's really, you know, people are all breaking through at the same time. And I think that's the one thing about being around as long as I have. You know, I've seen people sort of come and go. And you see people, you think, oh, they've got tons of potential. And then, then they leave so soon. You know, but it's hard to say. But, yeah, those those are three, three names that really spring to mind right now. And now, just before we wrap up as well, uh, so we're going to do word association. So I'm going to say a, uh, a name of a performer. Uh, and then if you've got any stories on that guy, uh, if you've got, you know, just tell me what comes to your mind, what, what your thoughts are uh, with those guys. So uh, number one, we've, chat- we've chatted about him. You've known him for a long time. Tell me what your thoughts are on Nathan Cruz. Uh, do you know, Nathan, I, I, again, he's, he's- He's like family to me, you know. We've been really close growing up. He is he's, he's absolutely, it's like a, he's really, he's the brother I never had is Nathan. But the thing, it's so frustrating with Nathan because I, I, sometimes I think I'm seeing that something that other people aren't. Like even when I'm, even when I'm working together with him, like the way he pieced together that ladder match that we had recently, he's just, he's so good. And you look at a lot of the guys in some top spots at the moment are doing really well for themselves. Like, you know, Kip Sabian, you've got, um, Amir Jordan, uh, those guys, you know, Nathan's had a, a massive impact on, on both of those two, uh, over the past couple of years. I just, I just don't know. I just don't really understand it. For me, it's like, he's the, he's clearly the best unsigned talent at the moment in, in my opinion. And I really hope things do pick up for him in somewhere or another. Because I I know exactly what you're saying with that. What if you had to kind of wage a guess as to what you think that it is that kind of stops Nathan? Like, because you you are so right. Like, he is so talented, and I I love uh, watching his work. What is it that's kind of almost held him back in regards to success compared to those other guys? 
Do you know what? It's, these aren't my words, but I remember having a chat with uh, Amir Jordan again, um, and we was, talk, we, we was kind of having a similar conversation about this, and Amir made a, a comment about Nathan's mouth, <laughs> sort of like in the sense that, and do you know for me, like, yeah, he, he says it how it is, but I don't know if this, if he's rubbed people up the wrong way up because Nathan's been around the same. I think Nathan had his debut match literally four days after me, so Nathan's been around the same amount of time, fourteen years, uh, and he's been full time as well. Do you know, I mean, I've I've never been full time with wrestling. He's, he's spent some some. You know, he's had so many more matches that in comparison to me. But yeah, that's something that that was that was a comment that was made to me before about Nathan's mouth. So I don't know if Nathan's rubbed people up the wrong way in in some in some way or another. Because it's definitely not based on his talent. Because, again, when you talk about storytelling, and again, going back to what I was saying about storytelling being the thing that's coming around again that people seem to be more invested in, um, Nathan, for me, is the, the best at it. The best person I've ever worked with. Like, when Nathan suggested stuff in matches, then we've gone out there and done them, the crowd have reacted in the exact way that he said they would react. And I'm like, how, how did you know he was going to get that reaction? He was like, I just, I just did. It's because he's got psychology nailed down. You know, he knows it. He knows it better than better than the best. And you've got lads like you know Rampage Brown and and Dash Wilder of WWE. You know, those guys again, two people that are masters of the craft. Um, and they're singing Nathan's praises about how good he is. And it's like, well, again, you know, we're all seeing it. What, what is it that's going on? And all I can think of is is there some sort of backstage politics that's held him back or something for me. I think he's a genuinely nice guy. Can be a bit of an asshole at times, but that's the only thing I can think of that's really held him back. Well, uh, we'll find out from the the horse's mouth next week because he is my uh, next guest on the VIP lounge. So we'll be able to sit and speak with him. Uh, so uh, you know, I want to kind of ask him what his thoughts uh, are on that particular uh, yeah. situation. Uh, all right. So my second one is Alex Shane. Uh, yeah, I mean. God, so my first introduction to Alex Shane, I would have been about 15, I think, maybe maybe a bit younger. It was when the uh, wrestling channel on Sky Channel 4, I think it was like Channel 427, and then you had like FWA. Uh-huh. And FWA was like my first introduction to, again, British wrestling, where these people weren't imitating WWE. And this was a, a real federation, as you know, I'd, I'd have called it back then. They had their own, they had their own title, they had really good production values as well. It was, again, when I first sort of fell in love with uh, Jody Fleisch as well. You know, Jody Fleisch and Johnny Stone was a massive influence on me when I first started, uh, started you know, in professional wrestling. So that was my first introduction to Alex Shane. I remember watching him and I felt he was, he was quite captivating. He was a, if you've met Alex Shane in person, he's a really tall bloke. Uh-huh. Um, and he's just, you know, he's just a sort of commanding presence about him. And the videos I'd seen is like face-to-face with Mick Foley, face-to-face with Steve Carino. And there was this shot of him on the entrance where doing like the show stealer pose with his arms and lifting up the FWA championship. I think while he was standing over somebody, if I remember correctly, it's hard to tell. But yeah, you know, that was my first introduction to Alex Shane. And then I first met him when Rich Dunn had asked me, the promoter of New Generation Wrestling, had asked me to come and help with the an FWA show. Uh, when FWA first came back, it was at the Broxbourne Civic Hall, which was where they used to run down south. And yeah, that was my first time meeting him, to be honest. But he's been... Yes, he's, he's been. He's been do you know what? Sometimes that's. You know, he's, he, sometimes I think he doesn't like me. To be quite honest, you know, we've had a, we had a bit of heat uh, a couple of years ago, in terms of um, the new generation wrestling shows. You know, that are on Butlins. 
Uh-huh. I, I said something. I said something on social media. Uh, hashtag the NGW UK. Uh, one of the families at Butlins had seen it. It was quite a. It wasn't. It was quite a controversial post in the sense for a family. A, you know, a strange family to see. It. Anyone that's following me wouldn't have thought anything of it. It was just a little joke aimed at uh, Kip Sabian. I think it was me. Kip Sabian and Eligare all in the ring and there's me and Liggs looking at Kip in this weird way and I just captioned it come on then Kip, get your cock out (laughs) 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 a family family member had seen it and they'd said to Butlins you're telling people to follow this hashtag NGWUK and I've just seen this, you know, this is a ball and sort of thing and to be honest I don't think Butlins was real mad about it but obviously Butlins had told Alex Shane, like, you know, one of the fans have said this. Can you just, you know, check it out? Uh, I'd sign like a social media policy with. So the uh, the third individual is Johnny Storm. NGW at the time, you know, just to say like what, what I'm accountable for, kind of what I post on my social media, I suppose. Or, you know, that I'm aware that anything that I do post, if it brings their sort of reputation into question, uh, I can be, you know, removed from their shows. Didn't really think too much of it at the time. Um but yeah, that was weird because NGW went from this massive change in terms of we've always been like a, a PG product, but we were doing shows at over 18s nightclubs where, you know, there was a, a chant for me to rape somebody's face at an NGW show. <laughs> <laughs> like the CM Punk Heine in the corner, grabbed hold of his head, the crowd chanted rape his face, you know, give him a give him a give him a face for us. But and yeah, and then a year later would come to this completely PG product and uh, yeah, Alex won anyway. When it all happened, Alex wasn't happy about it. Uh, he, he caught, you know, he, he sent me a, he, I sent him a message saying, "Hey man, heard you're a bit pissed off about this. Just want to, you know, say apologize. What happened again?" And he sent me like a fucking two thousand word essay, you know, saying, "You're damn right, what happened again?" And he went off and you know about removing me from NGW completely. And I was just like, ah, oh, you know, I was really sad about it because I really love doing the NGW shows. That's you know, a big part of of what I do it's it's they're really in line with my beliefs on wrestling in terms of again we said earlier about the good guys versus bad guys you know that that's what I enjoy about wrestling I know like you said you know the older audiences are they're a lot different a lot different to that but so yeah I was, I was really gutted about that and anyway we eventually squashed it but sometimes I feel like yeah it's just not yeah, I just don't feel like our relationship's as good as it used to be. There used to be a time when me and Alex Shane after shows had gone off Chinese up on a lucky star takeaway on Oldness Road and holding it and just sitting and talk wrestling, whereas, yeah, now we don't really have that. But, again, I think he's, he's when you talk about sort of success and, and what he's doing, you know, he's had a lot of success with the WrestleTalk TV uh, YouTube channel. You know, I know he's making, obviously making some money from that and stuff. He's, he's a businessman now. So yeah, our, our relationship isn't what it used to be, I suppose. But he, is, he had a he had a big influence on me in my teenage years, and when I first got into wrestling, he's been a big help of what I've been doing over you know, the past few uh, over the past sort of you know five or six years. And one of the you know one of the things he always used to say is that I'm one of the most um, I'm his favourite underrated wrestler. So which is always like, well, it was a big compliment, I suppose, coming from Alex. Like I said, I don't know if he feels that way now about me, but it's what he used to say. So yeah, that's, that's my my opinions on on Alex Shearn in, uh, in a very detailed well, um, way. The uh the obviously my kind of connection with NGW has been next to nothing. I I've done like two shows with them, and it was years ago when it was kind of still quite small. Um, so like you know I, I don't really know anything about like kind of the internal structure. I did one recently. I had a match with you. I think it was like a year ago or something. But that was like my last one um what uh with regards to like where alex shane is in that company uh 
what's the kind of um, power dynamic with him and obviously the Booker Rich? Like, like what what's the deal with with Alex's incorporation with that company? So, so it's, it's quite a long story, but I know obviously NGW started with a guy called uh, Luke Ingramels, which is a you know a good friend of ours. We all kind of started it together years ago, and that was part of the story with NGW New Generation Wrestling. We was all like. 15 you know 16 and we believe that we're the new generation of, of wrestling um part you know that was and that was why i mean i came i came up with the name new generation wrestling for that reason um and then even the color scheme of being green and black and sort of those colors that was from like d generation x you know the new generation Wrestling. that was kind of all it was all sort of factored into it so but luke ran it for a while um with me and nathan obviously me and nathan was a, a big help in those early days you know some of our other friends as well um, and then, yeah, Luke, Luke's wife got pregnant about eight years ago, and he said, "Look, I'm, I'm not going to have the time to do this." Uh, Rich was kind of helping Luke around that time. Uh, Rich Dunn had come into the sort of whole wrestling scene after helping after a one PW show had been cancelled, I think, and then IPW had taken over. Uh, IPW International, yeah. Uh, IPW had taken over, and Rich was sort of helping. IPW is based in. I don't know, down south somewhere, I can't remember where they're based. So Rich Dunn was there doing sort of his, his introduction to promote and he was helping out. And then when Luke left, Rich Dunn took over. Um, and then I'm not entirely sure of how it came about, but Alex Shane started help. Alex Shane really wanted to invest in the NGW product, I think was kind of the deal. He saw a lot of potential in it. Um, in terms of what was happening on the British wrestling scene, Alex's main goal in British wrestling has always been to get British wrestling back on TV. And I think he thought NGW was the best place to you know, be able to do that because I think in terms of introducing it to a casual audience, you're looking at that core wrestling values of babyface, you know, the, the good guys and bad guys and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the family-friendly product that came with uh, NGW in comparison to other promotions that was around at that time. We was drawing big crowds. So I think Alex Shane invested in NGW financially uh, so we could run bigger venues maybe because we used to run a, a community centre upon East Hull. And I think when Alex Shane got involved, we started running the bonus arena, which was like the, the biggest arena essentially that we had in Hull. Um, and I think from that, because Alex Shane was investing money into it, obviously he had some say in what we did. Then you had the local TV deals come in. So Alex Shane owns a, a company called Trident Vision Media, which is his own uh, sort of media media sort of company. Essentially, I'm not entirely sure. And Alex had worked to get wrestling again with his primary focus being getting wrestling back on TV. Uh, he scored a lot of the local TV contracts, and he did it real cleverly, actually, to be honest, because NGW is only local to Hull and the sort of East Riding area. And then you had Estuary TV, which was Grimsby. So we was able to get on that because obviously we was in that area. But to get us on, say, the Liverpool local TV, we started using Zach Gibson a lot more. And that was the angle. It's like, look, we've got Zach Gibson on the show. He's a local lad. Same with Wales. We had Wild Ball, Mike Hitchman and Mark Andrews. Uh, so there was a, TV, a local TV studio called Made in Cardiff, I think, or something. And then you had like Rampage Brown representing Newcastle area. So I think we started announcing Rampage Brown from Newcastle rather than from Leeds because he was living up in Newcastle area. So that was kind of how we cornered onto the uh, like local TV markets, essentially. And I think from there, that was how we ended up having more sway in NGW. 
And then Alex has helped score the Butlins contracts and so forth. So, to be honest, I, I don't know what NGW would look like if Alex wasn't about, really, to be honest. I think things would be a little bit, well, a lot different. Yeah, so, yeah, Johnny Storm, again, previously mentioned him uh, when I was talking about Alex Shin there, but he, he was, again, that big influence on me when I first got into British wrestling because he was the high flyer, which was the type of interest in that type of wrestling that I was really interested in when I first came in. So him and, him and again, Jody Fleisch was... Was, was part of that. But yeah, the first time I met him was at a show at the Bonus Arena in Hull um, at the 1PW show then. And I, I've got a photo. There's me and my friend Kevin. We've got a photo holding the 1PW tag team titles with uh, with Johnny and Jody. And I'm like, got this real serious face on, but inside I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Um, I remember even asking Jody Fleischer that, that day. It was um, cause obviously being a complete mark. I was like, will you do a shooting star press in your match? She was like, yeah, sure. He said, where you sat? So I told him where we were sat. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'll point to you before we do it. So if you watch that show, by the one PW Devils do show in Hull, he's got, he, he points to where we're sat and goes, shooting star goes up top, does it, misses it. But we still pop like fuck anyway because it was just the best. But, yeah, I think Jody, Jody wasn't uh, – Johnny wasn't always uh, – Johnny wasn't my favourite in terms of – in comparison to him and Jody. But I remember the first time I did a show in British wrestling uh, and, you know, Johnny walked in and it was the first time I'd been on the same card as him. And the the little mark in me, just my mind just absolutely exploded. Again, I'd only been about 18, I reckon, at the time. It was only a couple of years after I saw him perform at the at the 1PW show in Hull. But even now, it kind of makes me laugh. You know, like, obviously, I do quite a, do a few more shows with him now. And I know he's quite uh, heavily used at British Wrestling Revolution. And I just think about uh, when he walks in, I shake his hand and say hello to him. I just kind of have a little... Little chuckle about how, like, I've, the funny thing is, actually, when I met him at that show, the first time I was on the same card as him, I spent my wage on his merch. I got like a Johnny Storm t shirt, a Johnny Storm hat, a Johnny Storm sign picture. I was like, oh my God, this is the best, you know. And then I would cut, yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of doing anything like that now, but yeah, I was just total, total fan moment. <laughs> <laughs> Just the thought of you spending your uh, your small little wrestling wage at the start and just being like, yeah, I'm going to shell it out on that. Honestly, it only got me a McDonald's on the way home anyway. Or something like that. <laughs> that's, that's so true. You're only giving up a Big Mac. It's fine. <laughs> uh, the next uh, guy is Stevie Knight. Stevie, do you know, Stevie was, I have to, obviously, I see Stevie a lot now. But Stevie trained Urban Warrior, the guy who trained me. And I remember when I remember when we when I first started training with the Urban Warrior, he told us how he got PWA was essentially Stevie was moving abroad or something, so he bought Stevie's ring and everything off him. And I often credit Stevie for this sort of domino effect that he created. And if it wasn't for Stevie and kind of what he was doing in, in the Grimsby Cleefops area and how that had the domino effect on, on myself and, and you know a lot of the other lads, right? Our lives could look a lot differently. We might not even be having this conversation right now. Uh, the funny thing is, I'd, I'd never really seen him work that often. He did a show in Hull with uh, International Wrestling Promotions, IWP. He was he was booking those shows, I think, at the time as well. Um, and yeah, you know, there there was like again my first sort of intro, first few introduction introductory shows to British wrestling as well. So yeah, I'd never seen him wrestle too much. But I know he's done a lot for the for the British wrestling scene, especially in this sort of area where you know myself and uh, and Nathan Cruz and you know a lot of these lads are from. And yeah, I think things will look a lot different if Stevie hadn't had the influence that he had in this area and didn't do the things that he did. So yeah, I think he, yeah, I often credit him for 
in, in, a, in a weird way for helping us all get our start. Uh, this one is more of a more of a question, uh, but the thing is, I, I forgot to mention it earlier. Uh, I, I don't know how kind of um, how clued up you are with kind of old British wrestling from like World of Sport and things. But do you have kind of a favorite uh, wrestler from that era? See, it's, it's hard because I like whilst I watch it, I don't think I've ever really truly invested in just one person. Um, obviously, you've, I mean, it sounds generic to say because he's one of the first people that come to mind with a lot of people with, with Mick McManus. Uh, but I always enjoy watching, you know, Mick McManus work. He was one that stood out to me. I always enjoyed the mystery of, of Kendo Nagasaki. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of watching, I find like a lot of the people that I watch when I watch old school British wrestling, I don't really know them. But then I'm in absolute awe by them as well. And I'm like, well, and it's kind of scary in a way being a wrestler because I think God, these guys are so good. Yet they've just, they've, you know, they're not them, they're not the household names, they're not remembered in, in the way that the guys who did become household names were. And, you know, some of them, again, you talk about, you talk about your big daddy and your Kendo Nagasaki and your giant air stacks, they're the first three that come to mind. Yet they were, they were like the worst three wrestlers in a way. Uh-huh. If Paul Douglas is listening to this, he'll, he'll absolutely kill me for saying that about Kendo Nagasaki. You know, he's, he's a massive fan. But yeah, in terms of watching Kendo, I don't think I ever see anything where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try that, I'm gonna steal that. It's yeah, but in terms of the, that's why character again, we talk about is so important. My next guy is Zach Gibson. I I love Zach. I think he's he's absolutely fantastic. He's um he's one of these people I just want every time I see him on any sort of promotional material, you know, with WWE and the NXT UK stuff, I just think he deserves everything that that he's getting. Um. Yeah, he's uh, the first time I met. The first time I met him was at a NGW show, and he come in and Zach, you know, really quiet, just kind of nods his head and stuff, you know, shakes hands, introduces himself, and um, you had Sam Bailey picking him up because he just had a match the night before at GPW, I think, against Jack Gallagher or Jack Toxic, and it, by by all accounts, apparently, it was an absolute belter, and he was really new to the job, but. But he was, he was, he's, you know, he's a really toned guy. He had these, um, this long hair down to his shoulders, these three, three quarter pleather shorts that he was wearing. Um, kind of, kind of looked like, you know, a bit of like CM Punk in it, in, it, you know, in a roundabout way, kind of that CM Punk look about him. But yeah, he's, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about Jack because it's one of the first things that comes to mind. There was a show that we did. It was at an over 18 show. It was an over 18 show at a nightclub. And um, he turns up and he's looking really worse for wear. And I'm like, oh, what's up with you? And he's like, oh, I had, to, I had to pull the car over about you know, five times on the way. I keep throwing up. And he's just, just hung over to shit, essentially. <laughs> and then all through the night, he's just asleep on this bright red leather couch. He's, you know, he gets ready and he just goes to sleep. The rest of the match is just, the other guys in the match are just planning around him, essentially. <laughs> And we're in the changing room, and, and their match is coming up, and they're trying to wake him and stare him, and he's just really... Uh, and next thing you know, it's like, Jack, you're on, and his eyes just sort of beam up. He's like, what am I doing? They quickly tell him, like, oh, we're, you know, we're doing this, this, and this. He's like, all right, then. And then he goes out there, and he does this tag match. And by all accounts, it was a wonderful match, but it just made me laugh how he was like... It was like the Terminator had just awoken, you know? <laughs> this hungover mess you know and he'd been like say he was waking up being sick in the toilet and coming back and laying back on the couch it was really worse for wear 
And then, yeah, he comes back, you know, shakes everyone's hands, and then he just pretty much lays down on the couch and goes back to sleep for the rest of the show. It was just it was ridiculous. But, yeah, he is. He's a lovely, lovely lad, is Jack. Zach, even. <laughs> uh, all right, so my next guy is Robbie X. Robbie, I think we spoke about him earlier. See, I'm getting confused when we actually turn the turn the camera off and we actually start recording. We, we did mention him a, a little bit um, a little bit earlier on, but just um, yeah. we mentioned about how you know you think he's kind of uh, a really hot prospect. He should be further on than what he is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, he is one of these people who. Nearly when we were talking about with Osprey in his early days where things didn't really make much sense and things were just kind of thrown together and, and you know, like it's only been in sort of the recent years where you, you get this essence of storytelling about him. Uh, I think Robbie's always had that storytelling element about him. He's really athletic. Some of the stuff he does, like, yeah, I did mention this earlier, I just stand on the apron and watch him do, like, these really incredible stuff. I'm just, like, you know, basic with, with an arm dragon, again, the drop kick. <laughs> so, but, yeah, he's he has limitless potential and he's still really young as well I, I don't know how young he is and i think he's about 23 or 24 um he wears the mask in some and obviously in some places and he absolutely hates wearing that mask he said that he really struggles not so much obviously his cardio is one thing the impact it can have on your cardio but you know it's being able to see you know you say you got a lot of your visions to sort of blocks off here and stuff like that and part of that him wearing that mask was um, when they originally asked him to do a world of sport, they didn't. I don't think Alex or Rich really rated his look in terms of, you know, whatever whatever he was doing. Didn't really think he had a look that was worthy of TV. So the idea was that they was going to put him under a mask and give him a different name. And the original name that he was given was Blizzard. <laughs> so it's a, it's an awful name, isn't it? Blizzard. The funny thing is about that one. Nathan told me the story when he found out. So Nathan's driving, Nathan's in the car with you know Richard Dunn, who was helping coordinate the world of sports stuff alongside Alex Shear. And Rich says to Nathan, like, "Oh, we're going to put him under a hood." And Nathan said, "Oh yeah." He said, "Yeah, we've got a new name from too." Nathan goes, "Oh yeah, what's that?" And he kind of turns and looks at him and goes, Blizzard. And I think maybe Rich thought it was a good name or something. And then Nathan spent the entirety of the journey just laughing and ripping the shit out of how bad of a name Blizzard was. To the point where they said, <laughs> where they said no, we're just going to go with Robbie X, but we're going to put him under a, under a mask. <laughs> he had like the, he had like the, it looked like a sock at first, the original mask or something. It was like this blue one. It looked like a Scottish flag, essentially. It was awful. Obviously, his new mask that he's got looks good, but yeah, I think I like the mask about him. I think he, I think, I think he makes him more appealing to a wider audience. Um, I think more people fall in love with Robbie when he's, you know, people that haven't seen him before fall in love with him for for his appearance in, in the mask and stuff like that. But even even without it, his ability alone is wonderful. He's just investing loads of new gear. He's got this new hoodie. He looks phenomenal in it. But yeah, Robbie's one of them people where I just think, God, the sky's the limit for that guy. You know, he's going to be able to achieve and do do whatever he wants to do. It's just, again, it's just a matter of time with someone like him. You uh, you just brought up there the uh, ITV World of Sport. Is there going to yeah. be like, did, I, I don't, you obviously, you're kind of close to these guys who developed that show. Is there going to be a season two? No, the, the, I, I, from from what from what we know, the, there's not going to be a season two. I think the the shame was that. Whilst the viewings was, I think if you look at like the analysis of, of the viewings, they was trumping what Raw and SmackDown was doing essentially over in America because it was a primetime TV slot for us. It was a new show. 
But then ratings still don't necessarily compare with just a rerun of something like The Chase, you know, or a repeat of Ninja Warrior. Do you know what I mean? Some, there was nothing really spectacular about the viewing figures. And I think because of that, they're not interested in really... I mean, to be honest, it must have cost next to nothing to put together, do you know, renting the street. I mean, you'll think of what people like Ant and Deck have been paid. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure, like, the entire world of sport production crew and, and talent of wrestlers was was like a 2% of what, you know, the pay and, and deck really or something. But yeah, I think because I think because the, the viewings wasn't what they expected, I don't think it's not going to be like a yearly thing, unfortunately, you know, in the same way that X Factor comes on every year and, you know, things like that or whatever's, whatever's taking its place now, if it's still a thing. So yeah, I don't think they'll do it as serious too, but it does make me laugh because I often think like the NXT UK stuff, or, well, the WWE UK stuff was like... Um, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction because he had the WWE UK Championship tournament when Well the Sport had the Christmas special, I think like a year prior. And then there was no NXT UK or WWE UK or anything like that. And then ITV announced that they was going to do a series of Well the Sport. And then all of a sudden, like WWE opened the NXT UK brand, don't they? And it was again, it was all designed to be in competition with Well the Sport. And I wonder what they think now, do you know, in a world of sport that exists, because it's definitely not a waste of money. There's some really good talent on those shows and and some, you know, so forth. I think you've given a, a really good platform to lads like Pete Dunne and, you know, James Drake and, and Zach Gibson to showcase what they can do to a wider WWE audience. But, yeah, it was obviously, I think it was obviously done in a, as a, a knee-jerk reaction. But, yeah, the, for as far as I know, there's no, not for the foreseeable future anyway, any plans for a season two. I was looking into um into kind of that show because uh, I was really intrigued when it came on and I remember watching it right and obviously like I'm a wrestling fan as much as everyone else I'm kind of clued up as much as you can be as well and I was watching it and I was like there's something that doesn't sit right in 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 what's going on right now and I was watching it right and I started like you know researching kind of who they had on the production and things like that and then I realized, I think one of the main things that uh, may have affected the overall product, I don't know if it then affected the viewership, but I don't know. But like my enjoyment of it was hindered, I think, a little because all the people that were on it backstage, the people who were doing the production and all that, they weren't experienced in doing wrestling. They, they All their, their past things were Judge Rinder, uh, Jeremy Kyle, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was that was the problem. That was the biggest problem in World of Sport and why it probably flopped in, in the way that it, it did in the sense of not you know getting a season two. Because it wasn't it wasn't a team of wrestling sort of people who have knowledge of wrestling producing it. It was the people that have been doing Jeremy Cowell and Judge Rinder and, and things like Ninja Warrior and stuff like that. I remember when Nathan got sent the first scripts essentially for what they was gonna do, and none of it made sense in terms of the Adam Maxted and Nathan Cruz angle. So Nathan had sort of said to Alex and Rich, no, that's not going to make sense. But on, and I, think, I don't know, again, you can talk to Nathan about this next week and, and how involved he was in it. But it ended up getting rewritten to be more of a wrestling storyline. And the only time, and, you know, from my knowledge, when I'm speaking to, to Rich Dunn, the people with the wrestling knowledge didn't have any input until they did, like, this weird type of rumble show. Apparently they couldn't do a Royal Rumble because... Obviously, the Royal Rumble is a WWE copyright, even the over-the-top gimmick. So they created this new concept for a match, and I can't remember really what it was, but it, it was it was bollocks by all accounts in terms of you know for wrestling. But it was also very unique, and that was the first time Alex Shane or Rich Dunn or uh, you know James James Dixon uh, had any involvement in 
in that production and it was one of them things where when when it happened the production team came back to Rich and Alex and, and James and was saying wow that was so good that was incredible do you know and it's like yeah because they know wrestling they understand that wrestling I mean I've worked with Alex Shane and Rich Dunn oh, when they do the Destiny Rumbles and the intricacy in, in how they are planned is so down to you know down to a tooth chrome and if they if they had more involvement in the show, I think it would have been a bigger success, uh, definitely amongst wrestling fans, because even I found it difficult to watch. I was watching to support Robbie X, to support Nathan Cruz, and you know a lot of my other friends that was on there. But in terms of the actual product, it wasn't even for someone like me who, who really loves family friendly wrestling and you know good guys and bad guys. It just didn't it just didn't click. It was it was almost for I me mean, a parody of what someone thought wrestling should be. That was the issue. I, uh, my final gentleman, well, I've got a, uh, a final few. I've got Marty Jones. Yeah, yeah no, I've, you know, I've done, I've done some training with Marty, not in, not in the lengths that like a lot of my friends like Dave Graves and Liam Slater did. Um, he just, he makes me laugh. I've got him on social media. Everything's always written in capitals. He ends every, he ends every message with yours in sport. Do you know what I mean? But you know what? Going back to what you were saying about well, the sport wrestlers, he is one of the ones that I really enjoy watching. He is probably one of the ones that I have watched more times than probably a lot of these other guys. Uh, and it's funny because even... I didn't really, obviously not being from that era, I never really knew how well-known Marty Jones was, but there was a friend of mine at work and he was talking about old-school wrestling. I said, oh, I'm training with Marty Jones tonight. And he was like, Marty Jones? And he was so excited and he was telling me all these matches and you know, he really clued up on his world of sport and he was really excited for it. But yeah, again, he was one of these people who, if you talk about some of the best wrestlers, he was, by all accounts, one of the best wrestlers, but never had that fame that guys like... Again, Nagasaki, Haystacks, and Big Daddy would would have. He um, I recently read Bret Hart uh, Bret Hart's book, and uh, he's got uh, he's 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 in the kind of first few chapters quite heavily, uh, so I thought that that was quite cool. Um, but yeah, definitely, I'm gonna make the time to go and kind of uh, sit under his learning tree at some point. Um, yeah. I've also got the uh the knights. See, I, I've never, I've never been, I've never been that close with any of them really. I've, I first met, I remember doing a show with RDW when I would have been about sixteen, and again, Steve Sykes used to tell all these horrible stories about the nights and, you know, the, 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 the real, you know, the ticket, you know, and all these things, and to, in a way, it made them sound quite unprofessional, to be honest. So I was always quite like, oh god, you know, I, I hope I don't have to work for them or anything like that, but. Um, I did that day. We did. I think it was a. I think I was actually in the tag match, or I, I anyway. I had some involvement with uh, Zach and Zach and Ricky, and when they came over and they grabbed me, light as a feather, soft, soft as shade. Do you know what I mean? Like really looked after me in there. And I, I was like, oh god. And again, it's one. That, it was one of the moments where I felt like I was kind of thinking. I'm, why do I keep being exposed to bullshit from from guys like the Urban Warrior about Steve Sykes, Steve Sykes about the Knights? You know? But um, yeah, I've gone got quite close with uh, Ricky uh, over the past sort of couple of years from the, the shows that we've been doing at BWR. Uh, met him obviously a few times in Nottingham, like the WrestleGate stuff. But yeah, he's I, I think he's he's again he's he's such a he's such a nice lad and he's got so much potential. But yeah, he's probably the one that I'm closest out the out the all of them. Um, obviously, shake hands when when you see. 
see Roy and Roy and Rick, uh, Roy, Ricky and Zach, but uh, when you see Ricky Knight Jr., um, you know, it's big hugs and, and embraces, and yeah, it's just a really down to earth and nice lad. My final one, uh, I don't know kind of if you've ever met the guy or like just what your general experiences are, but what are your thoughts on uh, Doug Williams? Yeah, met, met, Doug, met Doug a few times. Um, if, it's like, it's, it's like the Jesus of British wrestling, isn't he, essentially? Do you know what I mean? It's not a messiah. Yeah, it's like messiah. I think, you know, I saw a clip recently, because obviously uh, Doug's retired, but I think he, he came out of retirement and did like one match in Japan or something. I can't remember. It's something recent, but clearly hadn't missed a step. You know, he was absolutely wonderful. And again, you talk about people who have put British wrestling on the map. He's definitely one of them. He was one of the first few British people to break out into the US scene, especially on an independent level, uh, when guys like God, I Nigel McGuinness. I was going to say Desmond Wolf. I was like, no, I'm going to call it Desmond Wolf. But you know, obviously, like Nigel McGuinness didn't you over an hour age. Doug Williams had gone over. Then uh, both of those guys were doing stuff with, with TNA. Uh, but yeah, I think he really sort of brought the mold for a lot of British professional wrestlers. Um, and again, he, he was. I was watching him around the same time that I was watching uh, FWA when I was first introduced to Alex Shane. But again, my my, my favourite back then was always Paul Burchill. And he was a big guy. He was like people used to call him like the British Brock Lesnar because he was a big guy, but he moved so quickly. And yeah, I think for me, Paul Burchill always overshadowed like Doug Williams and Alex Shane. You know, he was in that category for me with Jody Flash and Johnny Stone. Yeah, you know, that was the the more the ones I enjoyed. But all those five guys really paved the way for for British wrestling, in my opinion. And just before we uh we sign off as well, when you say about him being a really big guy, it, it does jog my memory there. So one of my uh, first experiences working on an NGW show, I was doing the tiniest little little uh little bit in one of those Destiny Rumbles, and uh and like you say, it's all planned out so well. They had the whole script on the wall, and uh and I was I must have been about 15, 16, nothing on me, like pleathered pants, like really 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 big like baggy things anyway the uh i used to love like i really popped for those sliding doors they had they were the best i know and like literally um and when um when i came through those sliding doors the plan was that obviously i was going to be going into the rumble house of fire but then this big i don't know if he was australian or something like blonde hair australian really big dude i don't know who he was to this day but anyway he was supposed to ambush me you know drop me and get into the match so, you know, my, my point came, the, uh, they had the two guys pulling the door. I came out, like, yeah, great audience, whatever. But no one was there. He didn't, he didn't hit me. And I remember, right, literally, no one was hitting me from behind. I was looking like, well, I kind of need to move towards the ring. And literally, he missed his cue. So I, I screwed up this entire rumble by getting in the match. Literally, and it was never supposed to happen. I remember, and I was like, "Where the hell is this big dude?" And I and I remember the reason that I bring this up is because I was in the match and you were there, and I remember, and, and we kind of looked at each other. And you was like, "Are you a face too?" I was like, "Yeah." You had no clue who I was, so we did like a double suplex on some dude. Uh, you know, we we had this little alliance going on, and then this guy realized that he'd missed his cue, right? So he comes running out to the ring, blooming gorilla presses me out of the ring <laughs> and then and then he just like it's like he's took my place wait i'm trying to think of who it was to be fair with me I mean, especially i mean are you, are you sure it was australian I, he was definitely uh, not english he was uh, australian or austrian or i don't know but it was something like that 
Um, but, he, but yeah, he was really tall. But then again, I don't know if he was just tall for me when I was 15. But who knows? He was he was huge, blonde, and, and he missed his cue, man. And I felt so bad because, like you say, it's so meticulously planned out. Yeah, it, that's what again, and, and that's that's the scary thing about those those rumbles is like, you know, if the, the smallest botch just has this really big domino effect, and luckily, more I think most of the ones I've been in, I've, I've never been part of anything that has really botched. But yeah, it's quite hard because especially if you're, I mean, if you're going to be in there for a while as well, that you've got everyone's coming in, they want to get like the stuff in, and then they say, oh Matt, I'll do this bit with you at this time, and this bit with you at this time, and it's like. Yeah, I'm, you're remembering like you know six bloody matches worth worth of stuff and spots and it's like oh my god but and you're thinking yeah if I get any of this wrong the domino effect that it's going to have is is pretty bad. There's been quite a few occasions where uh, I've been quite smartened up uh, throughout the first few years of me wrestling to like to mistakes where and you've got to recover. I think mainly because when you when I was trained by Steve Sykes there was always something that would go wrong because he'd plan the matches on like fag paper and uh you know like and, and um and the ring was like a death trap uh so i literally like so much would go wrong i remember one show i was in market raising and it was me and i think robbie x we me and robbie shot bam bam big uh bam bam off the ropes and then and then the, the the it comes out the buckle he hits the rope comes out the buckle he goes flying backwards like the the whole top rope comes off, and I remember thinking to myself, like, damn, I'm a tank. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't die. Like, have you had any experiences like that? Uh, no. To be honest, I think I've been quite lucky. But the, I don't think I've had a match where like the ropes have broke or anything. I've had plenty of matches where one of the boards have broke and all you know pops up in there, and it's like. The first thing you do, you get in the ring, you're expecting to. I think the last time it happened was actually uh, British Wrestling Revolution, where it was me and Joe Nelson. I think I get in the ring and the referee, uh, Callum, comes up to me and goes, just letting you know, the board's popped in the middle. And I just go, for fuck's sake. And before the match has even started, because you've got to now limit pretty much everything that you're doing in there. Um, and, you know, we had quite a few big bumps in that I kind of just had to get rid of, you know, and then it's trying to, like, how do you do that on the fly and things like that. But it's just a challenge. You just got to work around it. But I trained originally. Uh, we never had, uh, we never trained in a ring. We trained on um, just, like, gym mats and stuff like that. So it was quite a good education for when we started not to rely on the ropes. And I think now, I mean, even if the top rope, you know, did snap or something like that, I've had, of course, I'd, I'd, well, actually, I know I'd be absolutely fine. You know, it's just you just work around it. Um, I just I'd hate to, for it to happen in a high-profile situation. Um, was it Ricochet and Will Osprey in a New Japan match? I think where the top rope snapped. And but oh no, it was at, I think it was at a What Culture show for them to uh, What Culture Pro Wrestling where the rope had snapped. And bear in mind that those two, most of their match and most of their offense would have re- relied on those ropes in some way. But yeah, credit to him. I'm, I think, if I remember correctly, it was going back a few years, but they had an incredible match with, without it, and that's that's what you've got to do. It's just about adapting, isn't it, really? Um, once again, Matt, it's been absolutely amazing having you on. Uh, just before you go as well, obviously the people that are listening to this, they're people that uh, will see you on shows, whether it be at BWR, NGW, wherever you work. Uh, they're probably uh, you know, sat at home, can't wait to see you again. Is there anything that you'd like to say to those guys? No, I just I just want to say again, you know, it's it's quite humbling. Like I've been wrestling for a long time, you know, 13 years. Again, like we said earlier, I've never tried to 
to it as my, my full-time career. But it's always nice the amount of people that have stuck with me over that amount of time and have always been like big supporters or have been really big fans. I mean, I don't release much merch, to be honest, and stuff like that. But, you know, everyone has ever bought a promo pitch, everyone has ever bought a T-shirt or anything like that. And it's always really appreciated. I think anyone who parts of money to, to you know, invest in, in your own merchandise, but even just parts of money to see you perform, and even recently, you know, being the villain, everyone that anyone who calls me a, 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 a dickhead, a dickhead or whatever, you know, I just, I just, honestly, I just appreciate it because, I, again, going back to the backyard wrestling days, I have, I've done more in wrestling, even though I don't feel like I've done a lot in wrestling, I've done more in wrestling than I ever thought I'd do, and anyone who supported me on that journey throughout it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's massively appreciated. So thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your time at the VIP Lounge, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was my interview with the amazing Matt Myers, British independent pro wrestler. Uh, Thank you so much for Matt for coming on the show, uh, and thank you all for listening to Episode 6 of the VIP Lounge podcast with me, Reese Ryan. Uh, It's been really cool doing this. I love speaking to Matt. And next week, I'm super, super excited to speak to Nathan Cruz, the professional Nathan Cruz. So looking forward to hearing about all of his stories over the over the past decade that he's been in the business. Uh, You know, he's a full time worker as well. So it'd be really cool to hear uh, what he's learned from that. Once again, you can find me on social media at Reese Ryan Brand. Uh, share the love with this podcast as well. Likes, uh, subscribes, follows, any reviews. It'll be great, great, great help. It always helps the algorithm. And just to get more eyes on this uh, on this little here podcast, guys. So thank you so much for listening. And you can find Matt Myers at Matt underscore Myers 91. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's uh, forward slash Matt Myers UK. Uh, Once again, thank you so much, guys, and I'll be seeing you next week.